Good morning, live stream family. Welcome to day two of the Health and Wellness Conference. And listen, last night we had a supernatural time. In fact, last night my wife and I were looking at the views of the video on Facebook, and within a couple hours we had 33,000 people. So we want to continue to encourage you, share testimony of what God's doing. He is not done. I'm actually convinced you'll be able to share that video with some people. Just encourage them to watch it. The power of God will touch their body and they will be healed. Just one notable miracle that happened last night. There was a man who, I mean, my friend Tara here, we're going to chat in just a minute, but she was in the room last night. You got a powerful prophetic word yes. from Miriam. Yes. But last night there was a gentleman who couldn't hear. And he had been praying for a couple of years, oh God, would you give me ears to hear his Amen. wife would prophesy over him? And he thought it would just be a spiritual he uh, healing in that he would be able to start hearing the voice of God. But he took out his hearing aids and yes. was able to hear. You can't make that up. It's a notable miracle. And even now for people who need healing in Praise their God. ears, may the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit touch you. And I pray even some of you would take out your hearing aids and say, oh my goodness, I've been restored Amen. to full Amen. hearing Amen. in Jesus' name. <laughs> so last night, Tara, in the swirl of what God was doing, you got a powerful prophetic word. Yes. And we often don't get people on this side of it. They, they get their word in the meeting and then they go on. But you said that was deeply impactful to you. So impactful. Um, you know, when I raised my hand to get the book, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what, I didn't know that would happen. So I was a little taken off guard, but the first thing that she said was, you will lay hands on the sick and they will heal. And God has really put me in a place to minister with people with cancer, uh, especially advanced cancer. And so I do lay hands on the sick often and um, have seen healing in my own body from what I have learned. But I'm still, you know, expectant to really see miracles for these patients that, that God has given them this gift and we help them just to freely receive that gift. And let me encourage you and anybody else out there who's received a prophetic word that is sharply accurate like that, I feel like, Tara, with you, the Lord was giving you that word. Because sometimes what happens is, okay, I've been praying for people. I haven't seen the measure of breakthrough right. that I want to see. Yes. And the Lord gives a prophetic word at just the right time right. to remind you to so keep good. going. Yes. And I want to encourage you guys who have gotten any kind of word like that that spoke right to your spirit like it did to Tara. It is a reminder, don't give up keep going. Because I even just felt talking to you. I feel like you're on the threshold of a domino effect of cancer miracles. Praise We're going to pray that. If you think of Tara, <laughs> pray for her. Because just imagine what that would look like where you see multiple people dramatically Praise healed God. and you start testifying. So Praise we're going yes. to pray and believe. So what else did the Lord do? I mean, you got a, you got a dynamic word there. Well, you know, he had just, there were so many things that she shared and, and God really put me in the room. Um, I, I work for a cancer treatment facility called Hope for Cancer Treatment Centers. We're in Mexico and we all, our leadership team was so excited about this. And, and God just made a way for me. I was in Mexico. I, I was there uh, with our patients and with our doctor. And, and this landed right on the way back. So wow. I was able to fly straight here from Cancun. Wow. And we just have been waiting to see, like, what is God up to? Like, I had to be here. I knew that. It's why is he putting Tara in the room? And he is transforming 
our work that we do through our company, which really is our mission, it's our family, but yeah. he's transforming our organization and, and the Holy Spirit is just coming alive in the work that we are doing and people are being saved and baptized when they that. come to us, not expecting that whatsoever, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit that just breaks through. We worship together every morning when they come in I love and that. we pray over them and we just, we just encourage them and build them up in Christ yep. that they don't have to accept this diagnosis it is not their story yeah, and they so can good. say no no I, I resist I will not accept this in my body and so we just see them coming in so defeated and kind of withered up to like oh their posture and they just straighten up and they go yes exactly God didn't do this to you and there's nothing that you ever did to deserve it and so many people disqualify themselves from their healing they go oh I did this when I was 15 so I'm not going to get that. Well, no, Tommy, that is night, not true. The only hindrance to healing is believing that there's yes, a hindrance yes, to healing. Yes. And we're both people who give great honor to Andrew Walmack. Yes. And he, I mean, yes. the principles he teach, yes. I mean, it's really much the same. <laughs> right. So, he's, yeah. he's definitely been my teacher uh, I since that. I found him at the end of 2020. Uh, being a Baptist and, and God put me in this, this work with cancer patients, took me out of pharma. Wow. So he has really walked me to the real healing which is Jesus yeah. and the promises of God and, and that we just receive that so yeah. um, I kind of got off track there with my where I was going but oh, no well no that's all right I, what, what book did you get? Did you get Miriam's book last night? Yes, or did, it was the Gloria. It's the Glory, Glory Miracles. Yes. It's it's funny because I felt like the Holy Spirit even now. You, know, you get to watch this live in person, but I felt like I'm glad that was the book because the whole the whole book is actually about how to create atmosphere. Exactly, and, and that's, that's what she said: is who wants to create atmosphere of miracles? And I was like, yes, that's what we try to create every morning in yep. that room with those patients, and the Holy Spirit is so present. That's what you're pressing into, Tara. It's so beautiful yeah. what God is doing yeah. and we're just willing and, and just surrendering and, and saying father show us new levels of surrender right yeah. you know yeah. more of more of you and less of us yeah. in all that we do and just we just we just want to see people healed yeah. you know yeah, and, yeah. and but also find Jesus yes, you know have it. such a heart for you know there's a scripture that's been driving me a little nuts lately with all this end times talk is that when you get to heaven those that don't make it there, you will not have a remembrance of them. Wow. And wow. that that bothers me. It yeah. just really bothers me, you know, like, anyway. So there, we. that's also our heart is seek and save the lost, you know. Yeah. It's all about Jesus. And we tell him, God brought you here. Yeah. Not for us, for him. Well, you're going to see both because the reality is when people come to you, they're in a pretty hopeless situation. Absolutely, and absolutely. we believe in healing, but Amen. the greatest hope is salvation in Jesus. Amen. So yes. you're going to see that, and I do believe you're going to see, and that's what we need to pray for, that you guys literally through worship, through what you're doing on a daily basis, you're creating an atmosphere where would it be that a day comes where people can walk into that place and there is an expectation that just by being in the room. Amen. Amen. The, but you're going after that. Like yes. too many people, you've got, you, you've got to understand this is a wonderful case study. We don't give up. We've got That's to keep right. pressing no in. No matter what. On the other side of that diligence and obedience, I believe is the breakthrough that we have been praying for, longing for. And again, yeah. God is so kind. Just even at times where it's like, okay, I've been praying for this. I haven't been seeing what I want to see. He's so kind to give a prophetic word like that to remind oh, you to keep going. So good. So good. And yes. it was so detailed. He's in the details and he knows 
the desires of our hearts, but through my the teaching, I've, Andrew Womack has been my teacher. Yeah, God well, puts those desires on our hearts. I had a revelation over that verse, yes. you know. Yep. He so sure powerful. Does. And he wants to fulfill all of our desires, even the little details. He's in yeah. the details. He loves yep. us so, so much, right? Well, we want to pro we're getting ready to start in just a minute. <laughs> so grateful that you could hear from our friend Tara, but I want you to be prepared today because the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to impart insight. He's going to give information. He's going to give revelation. But above Amen. all, I just love this language of creating an atmosphere. Even this is an atmosphere where people get healed, where people have an aha moment, where people have breakthrough. And Amen. our heart is that people would walk in divine health. Amen. I mean, we want walk to in the blessing. Don't be a miracle jumper. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly what we're going after. We're going after people who make their cities cancer-free zones. Who go, Amen. We're, we're going after environments, atmospheres, households, families that are free of sickness and disease because of the power of God and the wisdom of God. And today, you're going to get both. So, Lord, we thank you right now for this time we have together as a community. And Lord, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to communicate whatever truths you want to reveal to those who are watching today. I pray for some breakthrough moments. I pray, Holy Spirit, just like you spoke to Tara through Miriam in a prophecy, that the same Spirit of God would show up wherever you're watching, and He would speak to you. Amen. He would highlight a scripture to you. He would give you a word. I believe, even as you're taking notes, I pray that the Lord would just highlight phrases. He would give you your next step on your health and healing journey. So, thank you. Huh. Where is the rest of the tribe? I see some empty seats. Uh, did, we, did we not agree we'd start at 9 o'clock? All right, well... Tell you what, you guys uh, had a good day yesterday? Yeah. I know that we're giving you a lot of uh, material here. Some of it's kind of uh, rapid or hard to digest. It's going to be an intense day today. It's going to be a great day today. It's going to be a powerful day today. And I already heard testimonies from last night and from yesterday had taken the stem cells, which is always kind of surprising to me that it happens that fast. I heard one lady had, wasn't able to like do something with her legs and she, almost immediately she was able to get up and move them and, and it's just kind of a miraculous thing. But that's how that works. Those cells go right to wherever the, the need is. And uh, I, I'm going to probably prepare a couple of those testimonies because I just got them last night and this morning. Then we had the miracle service and the healing service last night. And I understand there were people that had uh, hearing aids removed last night. Hearing right there? It happened with you? And uh, do we have any mic runners here? Yes? No? Okay. Someone is on their way in the well-lit horizons. So, any, and so we have a hearing thing here. Anybody else last night get touched by God in, in a way that they could verify today? Right here, right here. Okay, right there. What happened?
gotten worse and worse. Things like, I, I turn the subtitles on when we're watching movies and she hates that. You know, um, it's just irritating. I, and, and I, even with the, the hearing aids in, I, I couldn't hear some of the higher frequencies, so I just have a hard time with speech. And they started talking about the testimonies last night about um, previous um, hearing um, healings. And so I pulled them out, um, expecting. And my wife had a, a couple years of prophecy for me, um, new ears and, and more years. Um, and so I just was leaving tonight. I was going to, last night, I was going to be healed. Like, if, if God's going to heal these people, he's going to heal me too. And wow. the... Uh, the and right it happened, just, it happened for you. I love that. Uh, real quick, what, was, uh, what, what happened with you? You put your hand up? That's, yes. You, um, so I had a wreck in November of last year. That combined with a chiropractor, combined with arthritis that's hereditary or the result of bitterness or whatever. But that, it, all of that combined had left me, my neck and my shoulders and my back were really painful. And it had gotten worse even on the plane trip over here and, and I'm trying to make a long story short. But I had said, I can't keep doing this. And last night I was touched, it wasn't complete. And I walked up here and got in line because they said, if it's just a little bit, get in line. So I got in line and I walked up there and I said, and I still, there's still a little nag there, but I am claiming it. This morning in the room, it started up and I said, no, <laughs> stop. And I thought, oh, the people. Well, what was it that changed? I, I tell me what happened. You couldn't move your neck or what? I, I, could, I could move it, but it wasn't as far, and, I, and it was very painful. So, yeah. Look All right. Well, everybody, put your, stretch your hands there. towards yeah. it. All right. Move your head now. Move it now. Father, And move your neck now. We're going to believe God yes. for complete, total, and total healing right now in Jesus' yes. name. Amen. Complete it. Well, anybody else have, a, have something they want to share? Sometimes it's important to share it because you're right here. Let's get this one lady right down here. I know right, put your hand up again, right there. I'm pointing right at her. Yeah, right here. If, uh, if the microphone, who's got the mic? Oh, you do, okay, all right, good. Um, last night, just sharing, I know I gotta share last night, but it's still waking up this morning and it's quiet. I mean, I had such bad, at best it was like, static noise and then it goes to a real shrill high annoying and it's still quiet <laughs> I'm like Hell. It's quiet. and it feels so surreal it's just still like it is unbelievable but it's God you know and so it's just like what? it's peace peace wonderful peace yes, put your hands towards it right now and coming down from the Father above Lord I thank you for the shalom the stillness, the silence, in Jesus' name. I ask the Lord to tune everyone's ears today to hear what the Spirit wants to do, hear what the Spirit says, and uh, to give us a level 10 breakthroughs. This is a level 10 summit, and the theory that I've got is that God has so much more for each of us than we're actually Manifesting, and I think about this. Remember, yesterday I talked about Elisha, how he didn't feel anything. He had a double portion mantle, and uh, but he takes that mantle and he swings it and hits the Jordan River, and he says, "Where is the God of Elijah?" And boom, it manifested. It wasn't because he saw something. It wasn't because he felt something. It's because he believed he had something and could activate it. I wonder how much we have that we are waiting 
for a minister, an anointing, a visitation, an encounter to bring us, and we've already got it. When the Bible says to put on Christ, that means that you've already got Christ on the inside of you. You don't have to have a visitation from an archangel. You've already got it. How many of you know if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've got everything you need already? Even the gifts of the Spirit is nothing more than the Holy Spirit activating a latent potential in you to hear, to see. It's all right there. I think, I think we, we make it hard to swing the mantle because we don't know that, like this brother said here, he said to me rather interesting. He just took the initiative because he believed. He believed that was something in him that was ready to just take action. And what I want to do today is to help you to swing the mantle in a couple of areas of your life, to activate the anointing you've already got, to get what you already have. A a Andrew Womack's a friend of mine. He has a, a great book with a, this, um, this dog running in circles, chasing his own tail. And the picture is, is an accurate depiction of what it is that his, his message is, which is most of us are praying for God to give us what we've already got. So, for instance, he talks about unscriptural prayers like, Lord, would you be with us today as we do this? Well, the Bible says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So why would you have to pray for him to be with you? But it's a religious reflex. What we're trying to say is, may we be conscious of the fact that you're with us. Well, that might be a better prayer to pray. Lord, you're with us. Help us now to be aware of when you're speaking and what you're saying. Uh, You could be praying for God to give you peace, but the fact of the matter is, my peace I give unto you. You've already got it. What you're really praying for is to activate the peace you've already got. You see what I'm talking about? We have religious formulas that I think inhibit access to what we've already got. And we're chasing our own tails for things that God's already given. So if it's already provided here, promised here, in the new covenant, which is built on better promises, then you don't have to ask for something you already have. What you've got to do is figure out how to activate access to what you've already got. Let me say that again. It's a big aha to start the day with. The end time church can't wait to feel victorious, feel confident. Sometimes you have to put on Christ. And putting on Christ may feel a little bit lacking in authenticity, I remember one time when I started getting, getting this revelation, and I drift from it, by the way. Do you know why we do events like this? I'll tell you the honest truth. And I, This one's a little different because it's, it's a health summit, and I have other, these other experts talking. I don't like trying to be an expert if I'm not. But uh, the reason why I like to do these programs, and I'm going to do more of them, and you really need to go to them, uh, they'll probably do them in Dallas, where it's going to be you know, less expensive to get there. Probably, it won't be the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., or the Waldorf Astoria or here, uh, but it's... Uh, I like to go to the gymnasium because I have to work out. Now, I hate working out physically. That's why I have a health conference. I literally am having a health conference for me and invited all of you to go. (laughs) Seriously, I have to learn about all this stuff. And so I thought, what's the best way to do it? Well, just 10x it. 10x it means go 10 times bigger, go 100-fold. So, well, I'd rather go to someplace like elegant. It's cold. I want to go someplace warm. So I create my fantasy world. And it's like, I don't want to invite Dr. Jordan Rubin. I want to I have my little list of people that nobody else in the world would ever come to your house and just give you a seminar. I thought, oh, I'll make it an event. And we'll have hundreds of people watch, and people will come, and we'll hang out together. And so this is it. It's, uh, it's, it's what I need. 
But I have to go to the gymnasium in terms of putting on Christ uh, because I live behind a podcast mic and I get to talk. And you know, if you're good at talking and you get a keynote, I could just literally drift for the rest of my life with one book or two books, a keynote, a best-selling series that goes along with the message that I give and a really well-crafted presentation. But I, that's not what I want to do. I want to experience God and be in the, and be in the flow of what he's doing now. And that's, and that's a high wire act because you don't know what's going to happen next. In any moment, you could ah, fall. But that's why I love the gymnasium. The gymnasium is where I have to practice putting on Christ. And the other day, uh, it, it, it occurred to me, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to have to practice everything you teach. And you see, I'm behind a microphone. We have 20 million downloads. I could live on like, you know, like, you know, uh, to do like just TV, media, and live behind a microphone, go out and do a prepared, great keynote speech. Now, I love uh, what Christy Codred did yesterday. She was so great. And she has this, but you see, she built a $10 million business because she's mastered one thing. And so if you really get down to mastering one thing, that's not only the message, that's how you share it, and that's the visuals and the rightly honed sequence of persuasion down to closing a sale at the right price point. Then you go into the, the funnel, which is what we call it, which is the landing page, and ooh, it's got to wow you there, engage you. We look at bounce rates. How many people go to the page and then leave? How far into the... And this stuff's a science. And so she picked one thing and created a $10 million vertical. And I respect that. And so there are people that are called to mastery in one particular area. And I'm wondering how many people here really need to get clear on the one thing they're supposed to do in the next season and develop mastery in that one thing. Make sense so far? But I'll tell you this. Even there, for her to be able to have mastery, she's only a master in it because she makes distinctions. Think about what the difference is between a novice and an expert. I got a friend of mine here, so Bert Lindsay here. Bert, just wave everybody. I don't want to put you on the spot, but Bert, Bert owns these car dealerships, big, I mean big ones. But I talk to him, when he's walking around there, he is like pointing stuff out to, to the people that work for him about observing things. Other people are in the business that don't observe what he observes. When a car isn't moving, where do you put it? What do you do with your inventory? How do you, you constantly have to be thinking about innovative, creative ways of solving problems. And there's no manual for it. You have to kind of like learn it by experience. But the reason why Bert has expertise is as I listen to him, it's not, it's the quality of distinctions that people make that determine their mastery on any subject quality, and I listen to the specificity of his things that he does that other people don't do because he's observed something and he's made a, uh, he's made a conscientious effort of being a master of that craft. And what I want you to think about is, how are you making distinctions? Tiger Woods, for instance, had a year in which he had a slump. It was a tough year for him. He was, here he's winning all these tournaments and then suddenly Tiger plateaus. Tiger had a, a year when he was like, actually not at his best. And uh, they had a uh, interview with him to ask him what was going on. And here's what he said. And this is, this is true mastery when you can make these distinctions. 
He said, I noticed that I was trained a certain way and mastered a certain style of holding a club. But in my analysis, I would never get any better unless I made a modification to how I held the club. It was a slight modification to most people, but for someone who all their life is trained to do something one way and does it well, it takes a lot of conscientious effort to change it. I spent a year looking mediocre and bad in front of cameras in order to take my game to the best it could possibly be. And then at that point, he was unbeatable. He critiqued his own technique and realized he needed to change something to make it perfect. Then spent a year in front of a world watching him play below par because he was learning how to master the next level. You have to be willing to do something poorly to do it brilliantly. Now, that's why I have the gymnasium events. I'm gonna, by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dip you into the gym right now. We're all gonna go into the gymnasium. That means you're going to activate the resident anointing in your life to do something you've never done. I'm going to prove to you, you've got something in you that you're not activating. I'm going to teach you how to swing that mantle. But I don't like doing it in, with cameras out there and, uh, and audiences and stuff like that uh, because uh, I, I prefer to experiment and make all my mistakes in private. And so, the, in a sense, it's the Lance Lab where I bring people in and I experiment with new material. Every great innovation I bring out in public comes out of a private experiment and it's an aha moment. But I don't like experimenting in front of too big an audience because what if it doesn't work? I might have to go back and think, hmm, got to change the technique, got to do this a little differently. Does that make sense to you? In the, in the labs, we do experimentation, activation, and we explore new levels of, uh, of prophetic empowerment for the body of Christ because I do believe we have more in us than we are releasing because we haven't been trained how to swing the mantle and activate it. And it's simply, uh, you've got the faith for it, you just haven't had, the, you haven't had the technique taught to you. So let's start with, um, ooh, something really simple. And we have to tie it into this health conference. I am not satisfied yet that, that uh, and you're gonna hear more today, you're gonna hear stuff that's nutritional, you're gonna hear stuff that's, uh, that's um, uh, practical, you're gonna hear stuff that's new, but I'm not sure that your, your health transformation, unless you already have a debilitating disease that is stalking you, I'm not sure that you are at the point of clarity regarding how to create a lasting change in the area of your health so that you will live to a functional 85 taking mountains. In other words, I don't know that you're going to leave here with a bunch of notes and tapes and maybe you got some stem cells and maybe you pick up a series out there and get a blended drink or some supplements. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a whole group of people that are going to have a, a transformational encounter with how to bring their body into level 10 alignment with their assignment so that you can have the lasting strength and vitality and power and clarity to run the full race God has for you. It's not going to happen with just um, with a seminar. So what will determine uh, the degree to which you're able to get that physical mastery in the next season? I would suggest to you, it has to move from being something you want to something you must have. Do you know the people in the room right now that are at the level of a must, that is an absolute 100% conviction, they have to do this? The people that came here with a terminal diagnosis. 
people that are coming here with cancer or with uh, uh, some disease, that they, they came here by faith and hoping that they would find a solution. And that's why we have, a, we have the technology during the day. The most miraculous stuff that is in the technical medical field is going to be on the table yesterday and today. But then the supernatural is there in the evening because we're going to hit it from every angle. Those people are serious about mastering the subject of physical health. You know why? Because circumstances have driven them to the necessity of making this a priority. You don't want that to happen to you. You don't want to be at a healing event or a health or nutrition event because you've got a cancer diagnosis. You want to be there before the cancer diagnosis and then you want to avoid the cancer diagnosis. Does that make sense? So how do we go from, uh, from something I want to something that is a must? Well, the only thing you could do is like, in those cases, why does it work for people that have a disease? Because the pain is so clear in terms of the cost and the loss that it creates leverage. Now, I want you to think about this. How many of you have had a significant experience in your life? Or how many of you can relate to this? Have you ever had God bring discipline, judgment, or correction into your life because of the consequences of bad decision-making? Put your hand up if you've ever been matured by the Lord. Now, a parent spanks a child for the child's benefit, that they would learn to do things and not to do things. God is a good parent. He doesn't willingly afflict. He doesn't want to afflict. But, as David said, um, uh, something about... Um, uh, before I went astray, or something about I went astray, but then I learned the Lord's uh, correction. The idea is that God wants you to learn, preferably by reading and obeying, but if you don't read or obey, obey, circumstances will come into your life that will teach you the difference between right and wrong. God's a good father. Make sense so far? And if you don't have any pain, there's no consequence attached. So how do people with real great health mastery sometimes do it? You have to create a compelling reason to change your lifestyle, change your eating, change your habits, do something different. It has to be a must, not a want. And you have to create leverage. And leverage is you don't want to wait for the doctor's diagnosis. You actually want to, uh, anticipate, you, you want to create the leverage before it happens by creating extraordinary pain in association with continuing doing what you're doing now. And then extraordinary delight associated with the payoff of changing that thing. Because if you don't create an extraordinary expectation of the payoff and an extraordinary consequence for not changing, you'll continue doing what you're doing now because what you're doing now has more power than you realize. That makes sense? So when God has given me major corrections, it really has had a sobering effect on me in the sense that I don't want to do again what I already got spanked for. And then I realized something. One guy said to me in a great sermon he did. He said that Jesus says, my words, now you are clean through my words that I've spoken unto you. You're clean through my words that I've spoken unto you. My father is divine. I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. And every branch that bringeth forth good fruit, he prunes that it may bring forth more fruit. Now stop and listen to what I just said. Jesus said, now you're cleansed. You're getting clipped. You're getting washed by hearing me and listening to me. 
But if you're not hearing and listening, it doesn't matter because in every garden, God is going to come and prune the tree and get your attention anyway. In other words, I would rather make the adjustments in my life by hearing him and, and obeying the word than having circumstances pruning the tree to bring it forth more fruit. And, it's, and by the way, it's the fruitful that God prunes, not the unfruitful. The unfruitful, he says, you know, he dungs around the tree and if it's after a time, he, he almost implies he just gets, he stops working with it. But with the fruitful, God prunes. So I have the fear of the Lord. When I hear those hedge clippers coming into the garden, I'm already going back to the Word to see, let me see what adjustments I can make voluntarily that I don't want to have any clipping procedures. And uh, I'm serious about that. It's the fear of the Lord. I know God is so real in my life, there's a consequence for everything I do. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, it's because you don't know that, that there's a consequence for everything you do. And since God is the one who's watching over everything I'm thinking, everything I'm saying, everything I'm feeling, everything I'm doing, I have a constant fear of the Lord. You don't have to be, I don't have to think, you know, I don't need to have a hidden camera on me not to steal because God sees it. And once you get that kind of God consciousness and you realize that your whole life is going to be sowing and reaping based upon what you do in private, it changes what you do everywhere. My son Carl, who spoke here on the stage yesterday, he was, um, every, every family has their one child. That's the one you, you're, that you pray extra for. First one sometimes is a, is a free gift. The second one you have to earn. And we have to pray for him. He's skip out on church, on a youth event. And he'd show up at a rock concert. And uh, he, in, invariably, this would happen when I was pastoring, it was hilarious. There's always some conscientious backslidden Christian who knows who you are. And some were at the concert watching him and called up my wife, Annabelle, and said, did you know your son Carl was down in Providence tonight? Da, 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 da. What? He was supposed to be at New Life with the youth group. Well, I saw him at that conference, my concert, myself. Was there a backslid there smoking dope? And here he is right there with me. He comes home busted. This happened like two or three times with him. Finally, one day, I said to him, I said, don't you realize everywhere you go, you've got angels spying on you and reporting on you? He goes, I know, and I hate it. And I thought, that's great. <laughs> he knows, and he hates it. He's beginning to wonder, what's going on here? I love how God does stuff. I said, you know what, you're so mad. God's anger. Why don't you go to a counselor? I'm a teacher. You're not going to listen to me. We have father issues here. It's generational. I get it. I had them. You got them. All right. Well, I can't. I'll pray for you. But go, go to a go to a Christian counselor. I'm not going to any Christian counselor. Oh, no, I'm not going to go to a Christian counselor. Well, he went out and found his own counselor. I said, uh, "What's the name of the company?" He goes, "Rama something or other." I said, "Well, you go your own way. I hope it works out." Leverage. How am I going to get you to create leverage? One way we can do it. You all know my teaching on convergence. If you don't, let me give you the skinny on it. I worked with a guy named Bobby Clinton, researched for 20 or 30 years at Fuller Theological Seminary, destiny as a scientific subject. Now, destiny is a great subject. And I, I have no end of great sermon series I've heard on fulfilling your destiny, fulfilling your calling, but this is a guy that did it with scientific data. He observed John Maxwell, 
Um, who's the guy with Saddleback out there? Rick Warren. Rick Warren. These were all students of uh, a guy named C. Peter Wagner, Dr. C. Peter Wagner, who was one of my mentors. And Peter Wagner had these guys in his class. Peter told me, he said, I can always pick out a winner. Every now and then I get it wrong, but eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, I pick out the winners. It was great. He told me, and you're a winner. I go, oh, that, that was so affirming. You have to have people in your life that see your potential to affirm your potential before other people do. But then he said, but re remember, every now and then I get it wrong. So <laughs> that was the fear of the Lord there. But uh, Bobby Clinton I, I got interested in because I found out that he had his data says that there's four or five phases to a life in convergence and only 20% of Christians in ministry, he only was working with the uh, full-time preachers, only 20% said that they were ever in convergence. In secret, that means only 20% ever felt that they were doing the thing God called them to do. They were still pursuing it, but not doing it. I want all of you to be engaged in doing the thing you're called to do. Because when you stand before Jesus, the issues are going to be, did you accept Jesus? That's rule number one, is you must get to heaven. But rule number two is, he doesn't want to see you there until you finish your assignment. One time I was worried about premature death. Oh God, don't take me before my time. Oh God, oh baby. Oh God, will you stop it? Here's what I want you to picture. If you show up when you're not supposed to, I'm going to look at my watch and go, what are you doing here? You've got all eternity to enjoy my presence, but only one opportunity to do this. So I want to leverage everything I can here for my eternity over there. I believe what I do here has a consequence in what my status and capacity is there. And by the way, what's the greatest reward in heaven? Obviously, it's not going to have the, it's not the bigger house. It's proximity to Jesus. That's why the Jewish mothers all said, Rabbi, I want you to do something for me. And Jesus said, what is it? It was what? It was James and John's mother. I want you to do, he goes, woman, what do you want? Anything you want. He had a special affection for the Jewish mothers of the boys that he had traveling with him. I want you to put my boys, James and John, one on your right hand, one on your left. They've been with you from the beginning. You chose them. They've known you. Put them there. What was the Jewish mother doing? She's negotiating her kid's professional career future. He's the Messiah. She wants them to be on the right and on the left. Proximity means promotion. The Bible says, when the other disciples heard it, they were indignant. What does that mean? Strife came into the twelve because two of them were using access to Jesus through their mother to get better jobs than the other guys. Well, Jesus had to grab that in instantly, bring them all in. First thing he says to the mother, which I think is so funny in a way, you can imagine this, God says to you, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Bam, blank checkbook from God. She goes, I want my boys to be at your left hand and at your right. And he looks at her and he says, love to, but that's not my department. <laughs> if it was in my power, I'd do it. I don't do that. My father's the one who determines who sits where. In other words, he just said, you can have whatever you want, but I can't give you that because I, that's not my authority to give you. I can't write the check from that account. My father writes that check. So she realizes, but the point I want to make to you is, Jesus had to deal with that, by the way, to complete the loop by telling all of them, except you become a little child, you can't enter the kingdom, except you change your attitude towards this. In other words, he had to just reorient their competitiveness 
But the point I'm making that is more important is proximity to Jesus in the age to come is the greatest reward. You know there's a company in Revelation 13 that follows the Lamb wherever he goes throughout eternity? Not everybody's in the company. It's a certain company of people that follow the Lamb wherever he goes throughout eternity. That's an interesting concept. They sing a song that no one else knows. It's an entourage. It's, it's the ambassador's entourage. It's the company that goes with Donald Trump wherever he goes. Whatever that small group is, it's always, it's the Secret Service, it's Melania, it's the kids, it's certain advisors, it's the campaign people. Whatever season of life he's in, he has an entourage. Well, there's an entourage with Jesus throughout eternity. Wouldn't you love to be in that entourage? Well, you have to build for yourself leverage. Because leverage is what talks to you when you have choices to make. And if you have extraordinary leverage, you'll make better quality choices. Write that down. If you have extraordinary leverage, you'll make better quality choices. Every choice you make has a consequence. When you start thinking eternally, everything you do in time has an eternal consequence. Therefore, I really do want to be in proximity to the Lord because there's something about him that is so magnificent. He's inviting me to go there. I simply have to pay the price to do that thing, to go there. And pay the price is what I mean. The Apostle Paul told Timothy uh, at one point, his great son in the faith. I love it. I'm losing weight. My pants are constantly falling down. <laughs> it's a great, when I'm doing this, it's always a good thing. My pants are falling down right there. He says, uh, Timothy, you know, purge yourself or cleanse yourself. If any man wants to be a vessel of honor, he must cleanse himself. He must be like, you know, there's, good, there's wood, hay, and stubble. You have to cleanse yourself if you want to be a vessel of honor. That's an interesting proposition. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel that God can use for extraordinary purposes. I want to be able to take assignments that are important to heaven and be entrusted with them on the earth. But the word for purge is where you get the Greek word catheter. The word catheter is what you uh, use to, uh, to, to dispense with urine and waste material when you're in bed with the surgery. They have to catheterize you. You catheterize yourself by removing the toxicity, the toxins, the bitterness, the resentment, the hatred, the unforgiveness, any impurity that is stalking the quality of your interior life, you put the catheter on and get rid of it. That's what Paul taught Timothy. Cleanse yourself. Well, how do I do that? Well, the Word will do it. Spirit of God will do it. But at some moment, you're going to have to make a quality choice. It always comes down to a moment of decision. And I want you to have leverage. Let's talk about leverage for a moment. Leverage for an extraordinary physical life. Let's break it into convergence. Bobby Clinton. Then we're going to, I'm going to wrap it around to you experiencing something here. Convergence. Now that you're a Christian, the most important thing is convergence. What does Bobby Clinton say? 20% of full-time ministers actually enter into the destiny they have. Well, I imagine, listen, they get to do that full-time. And you and I, a lot of us have to work. We have other stuff we're doing. And so they get to focus 100% of their time to prayer and the ministry of the Word and to whatever God called them to do. And only, and only 20% of them say they hit convergence. What is convergence? Convergence is a phase in a sequence of phases where you are utilizing 100% of your God-given latent potential in an assignment that was created for you before you were born so that when you step into it, it makes full use of your personal history, your personality, your gifts, temperament, talent, and acquired skills.
It's 100% utilization of your gifts, your talents, your calling, your personal experience. As God has shaped you through your life to put you into a moment where he invites you, here's the envelope, invites you to join him in what he created you to do before you were born. People in Convergence live an extraordinary life because they're walking in a rhythm of unusual coincidences. Why would they have unusual coincidences? Because the script was written before they got there and they're playing a part God already wrote. Does that make sense? So when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, the word of wisdom in him is constantly seeing what's in the future because the future was already prophetically laid out. He will come into Jerusalem riding upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah prophesies 600 years before it happens. Boom, Jesus gets there. He says, you're going to go into the city. You're going to go to an inn. You're going to see a colt outside that has never been ridden by anybody. You're going to go in. You're going to untie the colt. You're going to bring it to me. Someone's going to stop you, and they're going to say, what are you doing? You're going to say, the master has need of him, and as soon as I'm finished, we've finished with it, he will return it, and he will let you have it. What the heck was that? It was set up. Hundreds of years earlier, it was prophesied, but Jesus was walking in the rhythm of the blueprint of the Father. The script was already written, and every moment he was making choices to embrace the next unfolding chapter. Wouldn't you love a life in convergence where you're walking in the script God wrote? It's possible. And you've had it. I'll tell you how I know it. Have you ever had a moment when you were stepping into something you said, this is what I was really meant to do? This feels like me. You ever step into a moment where everything seems to be flowing along exactly right? And you say to yourself, I wish I could capture this moment and repeat it for the rest of my life. It's for your salesman, it's the perfect sale. It's the sale where the client was ready, nobody interrupted you, the presentation was perfect, and they were ready to go, and they were a happy client when it was done. It's like, I wish everybody was like that. That's a convergence. That's called a micro-convergence. Micro-convergence is when God gives you the breadcrumbs of tasting your future. Why does he do it? To create an appetite for you to pay the price to continue to go there. Now, I'll tell you, it's mischievous. Because what I've learned as a Jew is that God will show you Rachel, and you'll fall in love with Rachel. It could be revival, it could be signs and wonders, it could be ministry, it could be changing the world. He'll show you the beautiful picture that will cause you to pursue it. But then, like Jacob, once you pursued it, you will wake up the next morning with Leah instead of Rachel. <laughs> You're in ministry. You left the job. You left the corporate world. You're reading about signs, wonders, miracles. You got that prophecy. You're going to be a herald. You're going to be a royal. And you're thinking that's the next chapter, and you wake up with the unattractive sister. You go, Wah! who are you? I'm Leah. I went to bed with Rachel. I don't think so. Jacob goes back to Laban. What have you done deceiving me? Laban goes, well, you know, technically, uh, you can have Rachel too. You just got a seven more years. Listen, this is the oldest sister. It's the firstborn. Remember I taught you yesterday the firstborn? It's the firstborn. You don't skip the firstborn. The firstborn is the first married. You can have both of them. Well, what happens with Jacob? He's with Leah. But Leah gives him Simeon, and Leah gives him Judah, and Leah gives him Levi, and Leah gives him Reuben. And poor Rachel, like a barren womb, can't produce children. What you find out from that story is God uses convergence and a picture 
of your calling and the taste of God's presence in order to get you to make the quality choice to pursue Him for your own benefit. It's the right choice. But then on your way there, He has to change you so that you could do that destiny. And that's when you meet Leah. Jacob was not able to be who he was called to be until he went through the processes of God that turned him into Israel. Jacob became Israel, and uh, Leah became fruitful. And you'll find the very chapters in your life that you look back on with pain were actually formative in developing you for convergence in the future. If you hadn't gone through those things, you wouldn't be where you are right now. You probably learn more out of the lessons that cost you than the ones you got for free. Your personality was probably more shaped by the adversity you've overcome than by the favor that made it easy. Jesus, the very Son of God, the Bible says, became perfected. He was always perfect, but he came to perfection, the fullness, by the things that he suffered. Now, if a perfect man suffered in order to come to perfection, what do you think happens to the rest of us that are imperfect? Embrace your Leah and ask God, what is it you want me to learn? Here's what I have learned. A person with a low tolerance for pain, I want to know what God's trying to teach me as fast as possible. I want to go through that class. Like I tell people, I'm going through hell. Well, pick up the pace. (laughs) So the conversion zone is when you're doing the thing that you were created to do. Only 20% of people are walking in that conversion zone where they have these incredible, meaningful coincidences. The first phase of conversions, the, the, the phases leading up to it, is, um, is, is what we call sovereign beginnings. Just going to put SV there. It's weird to me that the thing that the devil's attacking right now is victimology. Everybody's a victim. Everyone's in the oppression Olympics at some level. Somebody's oppressing somebody. And it's like if you're not transgender and gay and black, then, you know, it used to be Jews. Jews were persecuted. For some reason, something flipped around. Now the Palestinians are persecuted, the Jews are persecuted. And it's crazy. What I'm trying to tell you is the devil is messing with phase one all over the world, which is called God chose your gender. God chose your uh, race. God chose the nation you're in, the time of, of your of visitation, when you were on the earth, what country you're in, what body you're in, what gifts, talents, and abilities are built into you. God put that together. You had very little to say about that package. But God had already put it there so that he might fulfill a purpose through that. If you will bring that which he gives you to him, then he will show you how he designed you for convergence. Fighting that, changing it, getting mad about it is the stupidest thing you could do because you're arguing with God. The next thing that happens after sovereign beginning, your birth order, whether you're a firstborn or a secondborn, whether you're a male or a female, there's unique characteristics to how your journey is shaped and God set it up that way. By the way, the number one factor that people don't realize influenced convergence for them later on in life is career choices. Your work has more influence on you than most people realize. You're going to spend the majority of your time at work. And the number one factor that shaped career choices was the father's employment. It's a fascinating little connection. So you could say God was at work not only in the sovereign beginnings with you, he was at work in the employment that you were exposed to when you were a child because it had a destiny factor in spinning the ball for where you went. Sovereign beginnings. Then we go to spiritual formation. At some point, you have an encounter with Christ. 
which is, this is called Christian conversions. I could do career conversions for secular people. It's similar, but I am only interested in going to heaven and seeing Jesus and pleasing him. So there's, there's the uh, spiritual formation. How did you get saved? When did you get saved? How far did you go? How deep did you go? If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if that's not, if you never experienced, while you're here, trust me, you're here already. Uh, you know, let's, I want to pray for you so that you have the full package before you leave. Spiritual formation. You need everything you've got. Then it's called gift discovery and development, GDD. The gift discovery, at some point you realize you do some things better than others and people start to affirm you for what you do well. So uh, you could try to do singing, but maybe that isn't it, but maybe speaking is. And maybe you want to be a speaker, but you're not as good at speaking as other people, but you're great at leading other people. You could build an organization of speakers. It always amazes me that people that got talent and, you know, you got talent are more talented than the panelists that are uh, evaluating them. But these people get paid to be a critic of talent. So you're, you're wired to love something, but how you go about doing the thing you love is unique to the way God designed you. That's what I'm trying to say. But your passion is going to come out of your discovery of where gift, discovery, and development, where people affirm you. Here's how you know you're in the right place. When other people tell you that you've helped them, minister to them, they get something out of it, that lets you know God's anointing is on it. Gift discovery and development. Uh, then then uh, as we move along here, there's life maturing. This is the tough one. This is the tough one. You've got talent, you've got ability, especially if you're, if you're, if you're a Christian. You're anointed. This, this takes out so many talented people. I see it. There's one young lady. I'm surprised she isn't here, actually. She shows up at a lot of my events. She's got a miracle ministry. She's got a healing ministry. She's got stage presence. She's beautiful. She's built for an audience. And I prematurely was going to promote her because I'm a big person on seeing people's potential and seeing their prophetic future and wanting to be like I told you yesterday. At some point, I aged out of being David. I'm Samuel. I just look at people and I activate what they got. And I started activating. Actually, I, I got a little too enthusiastic. She had no place to live and was moving. And I suggested maybe she could move in with us. Because I've had four different people that have lived with us during my life that we helped mentor, and just on they went. But it was my wife and other people that said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm enthusiastically helping to activate somebody's calling. They said, did you talk to anyone else about what you're doing? I go, no, I just like to make those decisions on my own. <laughs> Which I've learned in the course of almost 40 years of marriage doesn't work. <laughs> so I had to call a young lady up and say, actually, that wasn't the, I didn't have the authority to say that. I thought I did. <laughs> I had to go check. And when I went to check, I found out I can't do it. And I knew I was part of a stage of disappointment. I saw the role I was playing, and I didn't mean to do it. But God was going to use me for the shaping of the character because he's holding this person back from premature promotion because if you're promoted before your time, it could destroy you. And I knew the chapter I was putting her through. 
I've had in my life people that have come to me and promised me things, and then in the last minute after I've sold everything and moved out, and I'm about to move in, they, they pull the rug out from under you, and nobody wants you, and I know what it's like to be rejected, I know what it's like to be disappointed. I'm, I'm the part of that chapter in her story. I can write, write the victim story for her right now. But what she doesn't know is, I was in Israel, in one of the uh, sites there, and I'm with a little group of people, anonymous. So somebody tells the tour guide who I am. Oh, he's got a big audience, like a million people listening to him. He's like a Bible teacher. You want to ask him? So it's, oh, I'm just sitting there, lollygagging around, looking around, enjoying myself like an American tourist. And all of a sudden, the guy who's leading the tour goes, and we are here in a place where the Lord taught the Lord's Prayer. And I wonder if um, Mr. Wall now here wouldn't share some thoughts. All of a sudden, I lost my anonymity. I'm outed. It's like, what? He goes, well, I understand that you have a teaching ministry and people around the world listen to you. I, uh, he probably he looked me up. He said, and so I'd, I'd like to know what your thinking is. I thought, I don't have any thinking. I'm here to listen to you think. I'm on vacation. I don't think. At that moment, God dropped something into me because it'll happen. Here's the nice thing about the gifts you've got. I don't care if you feel dead to the world carnal, going through your issue, whatever it is, waking up with Leah on another chapter of your life. People can put a demand on the gift that's in you, and if they've got the faith to activate it, you will flow like a river because they put a demand on you. My wife annoyed me one day. She comes in, she goes, Kimmy, intercessor of Great Britain, friend of ours, friend of Annabelle, she talks to her all the time. Kimmy has a friend of hers who's in Switzerland and, um, and he's had a coma with COVID and uh, you have to pray him out of it. I'm sitting there probably working on a political broadcast. I'm in no state right now to go into Pentecostal intercession for someone I don't know who's in a coma in Europe. But my wife interrupted me because she has freedom of access and she put the demand on me. And then what's worse yet, she's got her little phone ready. Whatever I say, she's going to record. <laughs> I am so, like, looking at her, like that look that only husbands can have, like, are you kidding me? But I don't know, for all I know, Kimmy's there live waiting for me to talk. So public scrutiny, fear of the Lord. All right. So I, right away. I got these verses where Philip was told, rise up and go attach yourself to that chariot. I got four verses on rise up, get up, run. Four verses came to my mind that fast. And I shouted them out into the phone. These four verses is what's coming right now. And I shouted them out and I said, what's his name? She gives me the name and goes, and you will arise, arise, open your eyes and come out of this. You have work to do and Jesus is summoning you. Finish your assignment, rise up, join the chariot. That's what I said. And she said, okay. And she goes, got it, goes out. I go back to work. It's a total pattern interrupt. Somebody said yesterday, you know, if you're in, if you're in, the, if you're in a moment of, uh, it was Carl with flow, and you're in the flow moment, you know, somebody interrupts you. It takes you 30 minutes to get back into flow. And I'm thinking, it's going to probably take me 30 minutes to get back to where I was. <laughs> Day later, Annabelle comes in, another divine interrupt. You should probably be watching this now. I just realized, oh my God. What a wonderful wife. <laughs> and 
she was led by the Lord in this whole thing, as you'll find out. She comes back in, she goes, the, she, they played your tape in the ear of the guy in the coma, and he came out of the coma. Came out of the coma. And, uh, uh, and, and they show me, they were filming it, and uh, he's, he, all of a sudden his eyes open up, his eyes start rolling around, he's blinking. It was a voice-activated wake-up call from the Holy Ghost. So then the Lord says, so was that really an interruption? Or was that me teaching you to be open to whatever is coming through? You have to be able to assess and respond to at that moment. It's not always an interruption. Sometimes it's me. Okay, Lord. And the reason I'm sharing that is because when I was in Israel, hiding out, and the guy goes, would Lance Walnut like to share something? I got it. Here's what it was. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I got it in Israel, an insight I've never had. And I got it in that moment and said it as I got it. I said, are you aware of the fact that part of the Lord's prayer is mysteriously, for a God that does not tempt anyone, you're praying for God not to tempt you. Why? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means that you're constantly asking God to do certain things that He knows if you're not ready for it and He gives it to you, you will be led into a test you will not pass. And that's how He's delivering you from the evil that is on its way that you would be falling into if but for the fact that God restrains the thing you're seeking because you're not ready to acquire it yet. The moment you get fame, the moment you get money, the moment you get opportunity, you get a whole new level of temptation. I've seen young people, I've seen, when I say young, people that are new to an, an arena, and I help them get there, and they're going to do this for the kingdom. They're not going to do this like everybody else. And the moment the money starts flowing, the moment they start hanging out with Christians who are compromised, and they influence their decision-making because this is new. I see them in the future, and they are not what I promoted in the past. They were led into temptation, and now they need to be delivered from evil. So I'm saying that because the fear of the Lord is a leverage point. The hope of being able to answer the high call of God and be walking with God and doing what He's called you to do is an incentive. I want to fulfill the destiny God has for me. And the reward, I don't want to fail in the judgment. I don't want to have given birth to a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. I want to be able to do the thing he sent me to do. Convergence is when you take sovereign beginnings that God puts you in, and you have spiritual formation, and then you begin to dedicate yourself to God for your gifts, discovery, development. Life maturing is when you grow up, you get tested, you get disappointed, you get married and the marriage has to be worked on, you get children and the children sometimes are rebellious, you got financial problems and the bills aren't getting paid. Life maturing, most people want to go from gift discovery, development, talent, ability, Bible college, and a tape series into convergence. The whole lot of ministries are getting too quickly into the zone of YouTube celebrity status and they haven't been tested. 
That's where I'm going to have my gymnasium. That's where I go to work. That's where I like to go in private and do the work. Life maturing. When you go to life maturing, what happens is you start to enter into a phase where God begins to promote you 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, and you begin to enter into convergence zone. You go from one level to the next to the next, and here you are at the 100-fold, you're here at the 30, but you're in this phase right here where God is moving you into the assignment he created you to do, and he's increasing your capacity as you go along. We've got 20 minutes. This is very important. I want you to grab a piece of paper right now because I want you to get to the convergence zone. I want you to get through the life maturing process. These phases all overlap. You might have to go back. Sometimes, sometimes people have to go back a little bit. They're in convergence here, but God says, hey, I've got some gifts you've never developed. You're going to start developing them. You're going to go through some growth processes with that, but then it's going to come out quickly over here. So what I want you to do is I want you to sit down and write. Why must you have level 10 vitality, strength, health, and energy? Why must you have it? And I'll tell you why. Because the weird thing is, most convergence happens after 50 in North America. It's weird. It used to be 30 in the Bible. I don't know what happened. Man's living longer, and convergence happens later. That's all I can tell you. In the Bible, 30 was the number of, of, of convergence. Joseph, Daniel, David, Jesus, 30. Boom, you enter into your high calling. In the West, what we find is it's 50, 55, 60 plus. Here's the good news. Once you go there, you could stay there up to 85 by reason of strength. Then you can go on like Pat Robertson and uh, Oral Roberts and others. You can go on, or, or Billy Graham. You go on after 85, but then you're in a different period of time. You're no longer in the convergence zone. You're in what's called legacy. Legacy is when other people seeking convergence come to you like a pilgrimage to Mecca to go meet with you and have you lay hands on them and talk to them, and it puts a marker in their memory for the rest of their life. I met with Oral Roberts. I met with Billy Graham. I met, and they tell you at some point, they, why are they telling you? Because it was a legacy moment to show them it's possible. What they're looking for can happen. You can go to an old age and walk victoriously with God and do exploits. They, that legacy moment. So sometimes God keeps you around for legacy to encourage other people on the journey. But what I want you to catch now in the next 18 minutes, why must you do this? Why must you pay the price to change habits in your life? Because the number one oddity about this is if you're 50 or 60, you're in the convergence zone, and the number one thing that takes people out of the convergence zone is physical. Here's the tragedy. The moment you're qualified to step into it, you start falling apart physically. I'm in the convergence zone. My problem is I had to have a, a gallbladder removed. I lost the gallbladder, and that right away, my energy went down 50%. I never recovered all the same drive I had. Lost half of the mojo. What a little apparatus. I don't even know what the thing does, but something left me. Suddenly I'm like the nap taker guy. My staff with the knowing look. Uh, we scheduled she could speak here, speak there, and after that, you can go take a nap. That's a terrible thing. When I'm, like, I'm in my brain, I'm still like 25 here, and I gotta take a nap? So you gonna make me do it? I hate that. But here's what I want you to catch. I'm letting you know, you must make this a must, because as sure as anything, 
out of a million followers I've got, I've got 200 that heeded the call to get on a plane, pay for a hotel, come down on an event they'd never been to before, and trusted me that you were going to have a life-changing encounter with this thing called Level Health 10 Health and Wellness, and something inside of you told you to do it. Out of a million people, you're like the one percenters. You're the convergence people, the people that are watching and couldn't make it. Those are convergence people. Why? Because the hunger that is in you is intuitively taking you to the place where you can head to convergence and not get pulled out. Something in you wants it. That's why you're here. Why is this a must? I want you to answer a few questions for me. And write down. We've got to find the motivation. I'm looking for leverage. So, part of the leverage is, what will it cost you if you don't make your physical health, vitality, energy, and strength the number one priority right now? What will it cost you? What will it cost you if you don't fulfill your assignment? What's the cost to you? Write down whatever thoughts you have. What's it going to cost you in terms of the reward when you stand before Jesus for the assignment? Father, I finished the work you gave me to do, is what he said. Will you say it if you can't do it? I finished the work I, I was able to do. What will it cost you in terms of your destiny? What will it cost you in terms of your reward? What will it cost you in terms of the people that you have an influence on right now? What will your family say? One guy, he changed his life. I think it was with smoking. I asked, for what reason? He said, because God said. Because his daughter came up to him and said, Daddy, I want you alive to walk me down the aisle when I get married. See, that cost of him not being able to walk her down the aisle broke his heart. That was leverage. You've got to find the why. Like Carl quoted yesterday, you have to have a why that makes you cry. You have to have a why that's strong enough. What will it cost your family if you're not present physically for them, if you're not mentally present for them? How, how about the people that you love most? If you're not able to focus on them, if your energy is so depleted that you're kind of like unconsciously zombified, walking around with medication, what is it going to rob in terms of the people you love most? You'll be gradually, my mother, as she was entering a period of dementia, she said, Lance, she grabbed me by the shoulders. And I didn't know what she meant back then. I, I wish I had the maturity. She said, son, I'm fading. I didn't know what she meant, fading. What she meant was she was aware of the fact that she was drifting away from connection with me and the real world. Would that I had known then. Get her stem cells, at least. What's the leverage for you? What's it going to cost you? Now, here's the other side. What will you get as a result of this? It's not too late. This is like Dickens. You don't have to be looking at yourself with a tube in your nose, being wheeled around from diagnosis to diagnosis, drifting out on medication, missing the call of God, being pulled out of convergence, having your family worried and taking care of you and sucking money out in order to take care of you and it should be going to your wife and your kids. We're not going to go there. Go like Dickens. Wake up the next morning and realize you're here right now. We're not there. Now, what will it be like when one year from today you have the energy that you had when you were 30? You have the mental clarity that you've been gradually losing over the last couple of years, that whether it's COVID-related or whatever, you've got the sharpest to be able to, uh, to recover ground and think more quickly, 
with greater, success, with greater clarity and intuition than you've ever had before? What will it be like when you have the energy and the power to deliver on the call of God so that you're literally sucking all the hours of the available day and you're taking the juice out of life when you're with people, you're 100% with people, and the flow of God is flowing through you, imprinting on the people that you're with. What's it like when you're making the difference you were called to make? And what are you doing, by the way, when you're doing your calling? Health is the vehicle, but what are you doing? What's your assignment? Do you have a clear sense of the difference you want to make? And why would God leave you on the earth anyway unless you have an assignment that hasn't been finished? What is that assignment? That's why you're going to pay the price physically. Now, here's the point. Some of you aren't writing anything. If I put you in an exercise right now with somebody face-to-face -face and you had to convince them why you must live and not die, what work you've got to do that you haven't finished yet, and what kind of changes you're going to make in your life, as a result of this week, if you can't speak with specificity and power and conviction, you don't have leverage. You're going to go out and go, well, that was interesting. And you missed it. So I guarantee being here ain't going to change anything unless it affects the way that you see what you're doing. So go ahead and write down for me, if you don't mind, on a piece of paper, what's the leverage for you in terms of making a priority out of your physical health, your stamina, your energy, your strength, your vitality, your weight, your cardiovascular uh, health. What's the reason why you're going to do it? I'm going to give you a minute. Do you have meditation music anywhere? I should tell my team here. No. No, that's not meditation music. This is exactly what I was afraid of. Turn it off. British rock music. That's exactly what I want to meditate to. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Don't worry about it. They're probably nervous back there. Right, right, right. Ignore the music. I'm just trying to create an environment here where... Play the music. Thank you. Write down. I want you to take a moment now, while you're writing, if I had the ability to connect you to the people you need to be connected to, to coach you and help you get the resources you need in order to fulfill the vision that's in your heart, movie making, speaking, influencing, miracles, healing, whatever it is that you feel is the untapped potential of what you're called to do. Describe to me three years from today, what are you going to be doing if you're doing the perfect will of God? What difference are you making? Who are you touching? Whose life is impacted by you? What's your assignment? And if you could do anything you want, well, I don't know what the Lord's called me to do. Well, what is in your heart to do? What would you do with the time remaining if you could do anything? Write that down. Write it down boldly. Write it down clearly. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
into the conversion zone. What are you doing when you're 100% alive? What are you doing when you're in the flow of God? When are you the most alive? Write that down. I'm going to give you another 20 seconds. This is like the test for you is your whole destiny is going to be determined today. How clear are you? I've had the Lord saying this same verse to me over and over again. It's tormenting, really. What do you want me to do for you? It's a wild thing. Andrew Womack told me the same thing happened to him. For a year, every time you open the Bible, the Lord said, what do you want me to do for you? It's weird. If you're not clear on what it is you're called to do, Jesus himself could say, what do you want? You're not sure what you need. What do you want me to do for you? All right. All right, take a look at all your notes. Underline three of the most compelling things that connect to you emotionally with what you wrote. In other words, you already at a gut level resonate with what you wrote. Underline two or three things. That's your leverage. Take a look at everything you wrote. Give me it. That's your leverage points. Are you guys doing this exercise? Don't stare at me. My gosh. This isn't a monitoring the course class. I'll get the tape. All right. Underline. Okay, stop the flow music. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to team up in teams of two. We only have six minutes. You've got to pay attention to what we're doing. I want you to, everybody, actually, everybody stand up. We need to get some energy in the room. Put your hands up in the air. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you're activating the call on my life. You're showing me my future. And you're safeguarding my path. Now help me, Lord, to get clear in my head, in my heart, and in my body that I'm fully aligned with your anointing and your assignment. Three years from today, I am going to be living the dream. You factored chaos into the equation. You factored wars into the equation. You factored economic upheaval into the equation. And I'm still fulfilling my destiny. Because you put me into this time period. For such a time as this. I'm the one. The Bible says is doing exploits in Jesus' name. All right, I want you to team up with somebody, whoever's close to you. I don't care who they are. Just get in teams of two. You can know them. You don't know them. We only got five minutes, so I'm going to hurt you. Everybody has someone. If you don't have somebody right now, put your hand up in the air. Put your hand up in the air. Come down front if you don't have somebody. I'll be your partner. Who wants to work with Dr. Lance? No, no, you already got a partner. 
Oh, you don't have anybody. There, 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 you two. You don't have anybody? There's you two. Hey, good to see you. If you don't have somebody, I'm going to team you up. So you two, look, turn around. There you go. I'm actually not going to work with anyone. I'm just using that as a sly mechanism to get you to come forward. Everybody have somebody? Are you all alone, young lady? Who is this person that's wandering around like the lost tribes of Israel? Bert, you guys can't have three. You know, no threesomes here. Everybody got somebody? You don't have someone. All right, over here. Stephanie, send her down here. You. There's your divine appointment right down there. All right, here's what I want you to do. What are you guys doing? I didn't tell you what to do yet. All right, put your hands up. Hands up. Hands up. This is the part of the program where I have to train you. When I put my hands up, that means you put your hands up and you stop talking. Because this is what happens in my classes. Everybody goes, the train takes off on the tracks. I can't even keep up with it. All right, now, put your hands down. I want you to sit opposite the other person. Put your chairs so that you're face to face. Put your chairs so you're face to face. Now you see why it's impossible to do with three people. Those of you that were rebellious, will you please sit in front of each other? Smile. All right, here's the deal. I want each of you, you're going to do, you only got three minutes for this. We're going to come back again later, and this is going to be your partner. And where you are now, I'm going to tell you, is low threshold intensity. When I get to the next level, you're going to be on your feet, shouting out what you're going to do. Right now, I just want you to share what the, what the leverage is for you. What is the assignment you're called to complete? And uh, why is it a must? And you only have one minute each, so you have to watch me when I put my hands up. Who's going to go first? Whoever's birthday is closest to September 4th. Whoever's birthday is closest to September 4th goes first. Are you ready? One minute on the clock. September 4th, it's my birthday. You get to go first. Go, start. did I tell you? One of you is not going to be able to talk. Stop! All right. Notice something. The more you talk, the clearer it gets. Sometimes you have to talk about it to get it clear. Why are everybody's hands aren't up? Everybody's hands up. This is all part of the aerobic supernatural stimulus package. All right, put your hands down. Switch. Next person, go ahead and share. Share with them. You've got, the, uh, you've got 45 seconds. Tell them exactly what is it you're called to do and why is changing your physical life a, a must. Go.
I want each of you to think about on a scale of one to 10, 10 being absolute clarity, one being, I still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Tell the other person on a scale of one to 10, and don't be overly generous and just to encourage them, give them 10s when they're really a seven. Most of you are probably not a 10 because we haven't finished this yet. But tell them how clear on a scale of one to 10 they are because it's gonna give a benchmark, it'll encourage them when we get done in the next session to see how fast they grew. Where are they? In terms of clarity, could you repeat to me what they said? Were you convinced that what they said is really a must? Give them a, a grade, one to 10. How intense is their conviction on what they're doing? Give them a number. All right, how many people have, uh, how many people gave somebody else, here, my gosh. Remember, when the hands are up, your hands go up. And then when your hands go up, you don't keep talking. I can't believe that lady, she's going like blah, 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 blah. All right. Whatever your number is right now, when we come back and pick up this exercise, we're gonna move it up to a level 10. A level 10 is where you're vibrating in a frequency where the angels are paying attention. If you're gonna dispossess a level 10 devil, you need to be in a level 10 state. So that's where I'm gonna teach you how to go. I'm gonna introduce someone to you that is operating at a level 10 in convergence. The subject matter they're gonna talk about is going to rock your socks, but I want you to see the person themselves is somebody that's in convergence. I happen to work on a board with them. It's how come I met them. They do not do these seminars anymore. It was as a favor to me that he's coming here. And that means it's a favor to you. Jordan Rubens, regarded by many as the most respected and beloved natural health expert in America. His personal account and triumph over Crohn's disease has resonated with millions of people. He has been given a gift by God. I call him like, a, like an Edison. He has been given a gift to create dynamic new formulations that I believe are going to continue to evolve and become like almost like pre-millennial revelations of technology. I'm going to play this great video that he's going to come out, but I want you to get on your feet when he comes out and let him know that you're glad he's here because Dr. Jordan Rubin is making a special trip just for this group. Play the video. And the sound makes it so much more effective. <laughs> we don't have a convergence in every area. <laughs> it's not level 10 everywhere yet. If you could hear it. The suspense is killing me. How many of you know who Dr. Jordan is? How many of you know you don't need a video in order to get ready for him? Jordan, are you ready to come out? 
Everybody stand up and give it up for Jordan Rubin! Thank you, brother. So good to see you. Thank you. You know what I love about this video technology we all live by? Constant Zooms, all of our Teams meetings. Whenever a video freezes, you always look like this. I don't know what it is. It's 100% of the time you are uh, looking like that. So I'm excited to be here. We're going to talk about how to live healthy to 100. And what's interesting is if I were to ask you how many of you want to live to 100 years of age, I'm not sure everyone would raise their hands. The reason being, I know 120, we'll get to that in a moment. The reason being is that when we picture a 100-year-old person, the first image that comes to mind is a tombstone because that is far greater than the average person in the world lives today. But if we know someone who's 100 or even 90 or even 85, we picture them frail, weak, etc. But what I love about what could be called the emerging science or the truth of longevity and anti-aging is that both the Bible and science are starting to line up, or as Lance would say, converge, which means that there is good data to support that our bodies were programmed to live 120 years of age, and we do know in the Bible that in an environment that's similar to ours, and what I mean by that is Adam and Eve Methuselah and others lived in a different environment to ours. That's for another seminar. But in an environment similar to ours, in a modern environment, men and women of God lived well over 100 years of age. And we're going to talk about that today. And what gives me the platform to share about how to live vibrant and healthy has less to do with what I've studied less to do with what I've read or learned, and much more to do with what I've experienced. So, um, 20, nearly 30 years ago, I was deathly ill with Crohn's disease and multiple other illnesses, 18 to be exact. I was at death's door, and I was just turning 19 years of age. So, frankly, I know what it's like to be a frail deathly, trapped in a prison that was my own body type of a person. Now, prior to that, I was extremely healthy, six feet tall, 185 pounds, committed my life to God. I was somebody who was very magnanimous, had a lot of friends, very loud, constantly talkative, but I literally became a shell of myself, visiting medical experts over the course of two years, desperate for answers. And rather than give all of the details of this horrifying illness, I want to share one moment that I never get tired of speaking about, and it is so critical, not just to my story, but possibly yours, no matter where you're at today. During the course of my illness, multiple hospitalizations, multiple doctors telling me that I had the worst case of XYZ they'd ever seen, telling me that I would need a lifetime of medications, multiple surgeries, that I would likely have a difficulty having children. 
during this period of time, as a formerly invincible teenager, I realized that this illness was not like a cold or flu. It wasn't going to go away in a week. It completely changed my life. I had to medically withdraw from college where I was very happy to be at the time into my parents' home being taken care of like an infant. It was a horrifying two years of living hell. But during this period of time when I realized just how important your physical health is, because frankly, our body houses our soul and our spirit, but when our body dies, even though we are eternal beings, we are not here on this earth to fulfill God's purpose and calling for us. So I knew that health was critical, most important thing we could have physically on this earth. And I knew that if God would heal me, that if I could just get well and help one person overcome disease or better yet avoid it, then this living hell will have all been worth it. You know, it's interesting. People ask, Jordan, did you come to know God during your illness? Because some people do, right? You come to a low point and you cry out for God and you meet God. I knew God. I lived for God. But during this two-year period, I gained more perspective, maybe more of a mature perspective. And I understood that God doesn't just expect things from us when we're wealthy, healthy, and wise. I had every excuse in the world. I could barely walk. I would often faint and black out. My iron level in my blood was zero. There are corpses that have better iron levels than I had. But as a friend of mine was reading a passage of Scripture to me because my eye muscles were too weak to even read, one of my favorite verses of all time popped off the page, and that's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, faith is the substance or bedrock foundation of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The passage goes on to read, without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, He has an expectation of you, and it doesn't say without faith, it is impossible to please God as long as you're in the position you want to be today. It just says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, you see in Romans, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and in James, faith without action or works is dead, invalid, impotent. So here I was, bedridden, I didn't smile, I didn't laugh, all my life was about was visiting doctors, suffering from a very embarrassing, horrible disease, I didn't want friends to visit me, when I was out in public, which was rare, people were not drawn to me, they were repulsed by me because I looked like someone that had something you didn't want to catch if it were contagious. So what could I do that would marry my faith, which was small, with action? So in this room that I would stay in, <clears throat> seven steps away was a bathroom and then a closet, and that's where I would walk well too many times during the day. And often, I wouldn't make it because I had so little energy, so little 
life, so little vitality. But one day I walked there and I yelled to my mom. Now, I usually tell young people, um, I called for my mom to get a camera, and not a phone, a camera. And I said, Mom, come in here. And I'm standing there with my boxer shorts on, as you can see in the picture, and nothing else. I didn't have a beard because it was fashionable. I couldn't afford to lose any blood, and I didn't have the strength to really shave. So I said, Mom, come here. She said, what? And I said, I want you to take my picture. She said, Jordan, it breaks my heart to look at you. I don't want to take your picture. And I said, Mom, you need to take my picture. She said, Jordan, can't we wait till you're better? And I said, Mom, you need to take my picture. I wasn't so insistent because my voice was probably weaker, but I said, take the picture, Mom. She said, why? And I said, because the world's not going to believe what God's about to do in my life. And to be honest, it was the only faithful moment I probably would have in a month period of time. And it was the gift of faith that God gave me. She took the picture, and that moment, that instant of faith, allowed me to have a platform that defies education, defies degrees, diplomas, and position. Some of the greatest testimonies in the world, certainly in the Bible, don't involve fantastic and precise theology. They involve power, according to Revelation, of our testimony and our word and the blood of the Lamb. And so no matter where I would go the next 30, almost 30 years, people might not agree with my dietary advice or might not like what I've written in health books or what I say during interviews or seminars. But what they can't deny, just like the blind man who was born blind, who didn't know much about the man that healed him, all he knew is once I was blind and now I see. That's my testimony. Once I was dying and now I'm very much alive. And my goal or my purpose has been to help other people follow suit. I said helping people overcome disease was a passion of mine. Helping them avoid it is even a greater one. I've once heard that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and the only 100% assurance you have of overcoming a disease is never being diagnosed with one. And my journey and what God would take me through would seem to spawn organizations, companies, products, books, and solutions. I've asked God repeatedly, and I will again, that I want to write a book or start a company in the future based on someone else's testimony, not mine. I love the resurrection. I don't like the death. I love the healing. I don't like the sickness. I love the prosperity. I don't like the brokenness and the bankruptcy, right? But my testimonies continued to build, and as you can see, um, Crohn's disease wasn't the only C word that I had battled. And God had taught me a lot in the ensuing 13 or so, 14 years. But even though I had already written a book on overcoming cancer naturally, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2008, but not just any cancer, the kind that the oncologist said that if I don't get conventional treatment, there is a 100% chance that I'm going to die. Now, in my mind, I thought, could I get like 97? I mean, first of all, 
5% is horrible. 1% is pretty bad. 100% was so bad that I instantly knew this was a testimonial in the making because how ridiculous that a human being could tell another human being there's a 100% chance you're going to die if you don't get surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. It, it makes no sense, but it makes for a great testimonial. And I'm not going to go into great detail about this particular part of my life, but I will say this. The same way Hebrews 11 verse 1 was critical to my healing when diagnosed with Crohn's disease and 18 other illnesses, when I learned that the oncologist was going to give me a bad report, before he even said it, he made a comment saying upon giving me my prognosis that there's more to discuss. So if you have a health challenge and the doctor says there's more to discuss, that additional information is never good news. So as he walked out to bring results of my CT scan, I asked my wife Nikki to stand in front of the door and I did what I've done probably eight times in my life. I got on my hands and knees, yes, in the doctor's office, and I quoted from Job. I said, blessed are you, Lord, for you give and you take away. And you know, there's good argument to say that God didn't take anything away from Job. It was the enemy. But you know what? I wanted to quote that verse because it's a sign of submission. I've done this many times in my life when I had the wind knocked out of me, when I feel like I lost something great or dear to me, when I felt like I couldn't breathe. And what I do is quote Job 121. You know, we talk about prayers, and I love the prayer of Jabez that God would expand our territory, that He wouldn't bring us harm. But when you are devastated and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, it may make sense to just submit, drop to your knees, and say, it is the Lord who gives, it is the Lord who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He created you, He loves you, and so I did that. And over the course of time, uh, while we were attempted to be manipulated and scared into a certain course of treatment, telling the doctor that the Lord was going to heal me, but later claiming that the Lord had healed me, I just needed to wait and see it manifest. And in my waiting, by the way, it was 40 days of 12 to 14 hours of body, mind, soul, and spirit therapies, a complete unplugging of work, which hasn't happened before or since, and telling a small circle of people that God had healed me, and you're going to see it. People that were believers, people that were non-believers. God worked a miracle, and I could tell you a great story of when I learned about my cancer-free prognosis. By the way, I had to fire my oncologist. I had to chart a course with just me and God, which was difficult. And I'm not saying everybody's cut out for that, but the Lord had prepared me for it. It was an amazing time to receive God's healing again. And with that healing, I received a new passion. And by the way, when I talk about passion for helping sick people, it's not a passion like someone would have for their favorite college football team. It's a knowing 
passion, but it's the kind of passion that I wish someone with cancer would go to any other route than come to me because it is an emotionally challenging, somewhat brutal experience to be counted on to help someone go against conventional wisdom or what they call conventional wisdom and guide somebody through that journey. And I very much need to know God wants me to do it. But even before I started sharing my journey of overcoming cancer, conquering cancer, God began to bring people to me that had cancer. And it was so interesting because I would share with them the emotional and spiritual battle that cancer involves. I'm confident it's a spiritual disease, and I can talk about that in the future. They would say, Jordan, it's amazing. How do you know this? You have so much empathy for me. It's almost like you've been there. But the Lord had me keep this under wraps a bit, although He did plant a seed for a book that I will one day write. It hasn't happened yet, but it will, called To Hell with Cancer. So just remember that one. Don't steal the title, just remember it. And God ultimately revealed to me many, many things that can attack and conquer this demonic disease. And hear me say that because I am 100% convinced that, I'm going to use the word convergence again in this way in a negative, cancer is a convergence of the demonic. Physical, yes, but when I meet somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer, I usually know if they're going to conquer or if they're going to die by what they say how they are acting, and what their words are. And I'll, I'll end this portion here by saying, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, if you're near bankruptcy, if your relationship with your spouse is more than on the rocks but over the cliff headed towards the rocks, if your child has left, abandoned you and abandoned God, if you spend a thousand words more saying that I'm going to go broke, I'm going to lose my wife, I'm going to die, my child's never going to amount to anything, rather than confessing God's promises, no matter how ridiculous they may sound to you or other people, you're going to get exactly what you want. Now, I grew up, I'm Jewish, but I grew up with a hodgepodge of Messianic Judaism, charismatic churches, but ultimately came to a relationship with God in a Baptist church. And we used to pray, Lord, if it's your will to heal. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I quickly realized the teachings of Scripture, of people that were men and women of greater faith, Charles Capps, etc. I wrote a prayer that is about four minutes long. I quoted it three times a day, and I felt like when I did, the demons and the devil were holding their ears like a dog whistle blown to a dog. In the midst of 12 to 14 hours a day of, quote, treatment to overcome cancer, when someone would bring up the fact that I had cancer, I didn't even realize it was me. I didn't own it. I didn't wear it. How dare we say something like, I am a diabetic. And by the way, I'm not trying to be critical. How dare we say, my son is autistic? How can we say, I am a cancer survivor? I am going through cancer. You know, there's a real problem with the I am's because that's the only name that God ever said you should call him. And I can promise you, he is not a diabetic. He is not 
autistic and he is not a cancer anything. And I come from a Jewish family and certain ethnicities like Jewish families can be very negative. Lance would love this. Um, I grew up learning a lot of Yiddish, which is a combination of Polish, German, and just a bunch of made-up stuff, I'm convinced. (laughs) It's a very negative type of language, and in fact, the best thing you can say, at least what I heard in a Jewish family, would be something neutral, not even good, but every time you did, you'd have to say something like kinahura poo-poo, which is like knocking on wood and spitting, and it's a stupid superstition. But just to give you an idea of how negative Jewish people can be, particularly when they speak the Yiddish language, there are 13 words to describe a jerk who's a guy, and one word to describe a good guy, and it's mensch, and all it means is man. You know, he's a real mensch. Meanwhile, there's so many ways to describe a man who falls short, some of which were in the a prelude to Laverne and Shirley, which if I was speaking to young people, they would have no idea what I'm talking about. Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Shmegegi, Stunk, Schmendrick, there's worse that I'm not going to talk about. So for me growing up, it's always if you say anything good, you have to put a caveat with knocking on something or spitting. But I learned to speak positive. I remember when I was ill, there was, with Crohn's disease, I was working with a man who helped me understand God's plan for my health. And he asked why I'm always frowning. And I said, well, in Yiddish, they call that ungeblusen. That means you have a frown. And so he basically said, well, we're not going to be ungeblusen anymore. We're going to speak life. This is an entire message into into itself, but I'm going to promise you we'll get practical here. But the point is, Whatever you're dealing with today, and I believe this word is for many of you, and, and I feel pray, fall prey to it as well. We all do. But we have to speak what we want, particularly if it aligns with God's word. And as a Baptist church member growing up and really sitting under amazing teaching, I was warned to avoid faith preachers or name it and claim it. I remember there was a Kenneth Copeland conference in my area, and we were like warned to stay away from there. I would later become friends with the Copelands and um, had to apologize, but, but here's what I'll say. The name it and claim it message is 100% true. Here's why. Here's why. I met several people who said they were going to die from cancer, and they did. I met several people who said they were going to lose their marriage, and it happened. I met several people that said they were going to go broke, and they lost everything. And I've met several people that said, my child is never going to X, Y, Z, and they never did. So it's really important how we speak, what we believe. We know that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but there's something powerful about your words that can change your heart. Because I can promise you that there were times when I would say I was healed of cancer, but the blood work showed something different, the scans showed something different, and the horribly bedside-mannered doctor at Harvard Medical didn't. But it's a way for us to 
reverse some level of gravitational pull that this earth has, which seems to pull us towards everything we don't want. Because the person who is roaming the air, known as the prince of the air, wants exactly the opposite for our lives as we want. All right, so let's fast forward from my life to your life. How do we live healthy to 100? First, let me give you a few examples. This is really important, and you, you all know this. Moses lived to 120 years of age. Moses walked up to the mountain and had a glimpse of what God previously wanted him to experience, but now would only let him see. And at 120 years of age, and there's different translations, but when Moses died, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. Can anyone guess what natural force means in the Hebrew? You're right. It's natural force, meaning, get this, Moses could have fathered a child at 120 years of age. That's really living, right? The reason they talked about his eye is because the high priest would diagnose diseases based on your eyes. You could see that in the Torah. 120 years. And he wasn't the only one that lived this long. Aaron lived even longer. Sarah lived longer. And again, I'm talking about this modern post-Noaic, post-flood environment, which we're still a part of. We do a great job of trying to destroy our environment, by the way, but it's a similar environment that Moses lived in. Lance made reference to Caleb. I'm not exactly sure he looked like that at 85, but man, that's pretty awesome. He doesn't even use just for men for his beard. <laughs> Caleb was one of 12 spies that was told to go to the promised land and Ten of them were scared to death, but Caleb said, I'm just as strong today as I was then, 45 years ago, and I can still fight as well in battle. Folks, you know what I do every morning, among other things? I have a prayer for my life that's a bunch of biblical promises and declarations, and it's a living document. I add to it because I read through the Bible sequentially multiple times a year, and one thing that I say is, like Moses, at 120 years of age, my eyes will not be dim, and my strength will be with me. And I also say, like Caleb, I will be stronger at 85 years of age than I was at 40 years of age. And you know what I did at 40 years of age? I tried to become as strong as I could so that at 85 I could be even stronger and have a high mark to achieve. I start every day with a declaration of what I want and what God's promised me so that when I forget it later in the day, I've already deposited these declarations in the bank. But listen, words are powerful, but actions must be married to words. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next 30 or so minutes, practical information about how you can live healthy to 100, more importantly, how you can start living healthy tomorrow. And here's the first one, build muscle. Now, the people who created my slides found someone holding a dumbbell. And most of you or some of you will say, well, I don't want to do dumbbell curls. I don't want to lift weights. But here's what I need you to understand. One of the main determining factors of your longevity is your strength and your muscle. 
I know that's bad news for some of you today. But the good news is you can build muscle at any age. The bad news is if you don't work at it, you will lose on average 7 to 8% of muscle every decade after 40. And between 70 and 80, you'll lose 15%, which means at 80, you'll be 39% weaker. Think about this. When you shake somebody's hand who's older, a lot of times it's cold and sort of clammy, a little bit like Swiss cheese. But when you meet someone who has a strong grip, male or female, 70, 80 years of age, doesn't that sort of spark you? I have a good friend named Don Finto, who some of you have heard of. He's a 93-year-old pastor who is, frankly, one of my heroes. He's like my grandfather. I don't have a natural grandfather anymore, but I love this man. But he is, goes to Israel, ministers in the Middle East, exercises, eats healthy, and is 93 years of age. So amazing. And he has a strong grip. Walks upright and still preaches behind a pulpit. And he believes the two reasons why he's strong and healthy. Number one, he blesses Israel, and God promises, therefore, to bless him. And number two, he lives a life that would honor the temple of the Holy Spirit that God calls our body in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Muscle is very important. In fact, if you say, well, Jordan, what are some ways that I know how I'm tracking? I mean, you can certainly understand and test the amount of muscle you have through something called the DEXA scan or other equipment. Simply look at your grip strength. How long can you hang from a position like what would normally be a pull-up that you may not dare to attempt? Or even something like a kneeling squat. These are ways, believe it or not, that are now correlated to our longevity. The more muscle you have at every decade of your life, the more healthy you will be. So how do we avoid what causes us to lose muscle and make conscious decisions to build it? Here's three activities. Walking. Now, some of you say, well, walking's no big deal. Walking's really good. It does help you Build and maintain skeletal muscle because even though you're walking horizontally, you're still working against gravity, as long as you're on this planet, that is. Here's a big one, weightlifting and resistance training. Now, this might be scary to some people, but men and women need to do this. Whether it's quote-unquote body weight exercises, Olympic-style weightlifting, using bands, swimming slash using those styrofoam things under the water, you need to practice resistance training. You need to load your muscles against gravity. Again, it could be as simple as a push-up or a counter push-up or a wall push-up, a squat, or just get up and down from your chair. You know what simple way to do it? A lot of us like to watch programs that have commercials. Yes, they still have commercials. We pay for a service that we could watch sports games, and they still have commercials, but I decided I'm going to do push-ups during every commercial, and I realized not only do I hate commercials, <laughs> I really hate commercials because it's amazing how many push-ups you'll do during one hour of a program that has commercials. You got to do something, and people say, well, I don't have 
time or I don't want to go to the gym. You don't have to, but do something for five minutes because it's five minutes better than nothing. And I promise you, if you don't, you will be 39% weaker at age 80. But there is research that shows 80-year-olds can build, not only maintain, but build muscle. All right, here's a good one, sprinting. I don't know about you, but as I mature and I'm nearing 50, my kids often tell me in words and actions that I'm not as cool as I think I am. I'm not as strong as they are. And I wish this was only my 19-year-old son who plays college football. It's my 16-year-old daughter who is confident she's stronger than me. And I am nowhere near as fast as them. Now listen, some of you may not have sprinted in decades. Start by walking, but if you will run as fast as you can, it's way better than running long distances slowly. In fact, that's not even good for you. There's no reason that our body was built to jog, but I can tell you we were built to run. Just ask somebody who's in Glacier National Park and hears the sounds of a grizzly bear. <laughs> we were made to run at times. Try to work up to sprinting. As silly as you feel and as silly as it looks, it is a great way to build muscle. How do I know this? Well, if you ever look at a marathon runner, they look sick and weak, but look at a sprinter and they are like the David statue, right? I mean, they're in great shape. Here are foods to avoid if you want to build muscle. Number one, soy. Soy, which was a huge craze back in the health food days. I remember growing up to hippie health nut parents, worked at health food stores. I started health companies. Soy was so popular back in the day, they would make soy-based ink, wallpaper, and the worst Thanksgiving meal ever, a tofurkey, which was a turkey made out of tofu. First of all, if something sounds that bad, there's no way you should be eating it. Which does bring me to an interesting point back to the Yiddish-Jewish upbringing. There are certain culinary delights of various ethnic groups that sound really appetizing. Would you agree that Italian food sounds really good, like rigatoni, tortellini, everything's exciting. Everything that you make in the Jewish language ends in ugh. I'm serious, and here's one that you're supposed to actually think is good. Kreplach. It's frankly nearly two words that both sound awful. Oh, but don't worry, there's a dessert that's called ruggelach, as if that sounds at all appetizing. Soy is challenging for men and women primarily because it disrupts your hormones, thyroid hormones providing plant-based estrogens, which block testosterone. You don't want to consume soy ingredients, even though they're everywhere. Soy oil, soy lecithin are not quite as bad, but they're still not good. Soy protein is what you want to avoid. Years ago, they told us to have 25 grams a day. I believe that it has led to feminization of men and over estrogen dominance in women. So we want to avoid that. Foods with added sugar. I don't love what the USDA often decides to do, or the FDA, but one good rule is that foods need to list added sugars. So you know the difference between if you had apples that were cut up and put in a package 
that had naturally occurring sugars versus added sugars. You want to try to avoid excess added sugars. Now, there are sweeteners that I like and God likes. I don't want to argue with God when He says honeycomb is good for the bones or when He talks about honey reviving Jonathan when he was at war. So, honey is good, particularly if it's raw and unheated, not if it comes in the carcass of a lion. I just added that because I wanted to make you think I knew the Bible really well. <laughs> Processed vegetable oils. We've been talking about this for years. You might hear the term seed oils. These are highly processed. It takes a lot to get an oil from a seed. It doesn't take so much effort to get oil from olives or fat from butter, both of which are talked about in the Bible, by the way. Avoid these foods. Now, here this is interesting. I didn't want to simply put ordinary foods that you could use to build muscle. I wanted to give you something interesting that you may not hear all the time. But number one, folks, red meat is good for you. I'm going to say that again. Red meat is good for you. But I'm going to tell you why, and this is part of an upcoming message that I'm going to share, and I'll give you a sneak peek. I believe red meat is good because it contains protein, vitamin B12, B6, zinc. I believe red meat is good because it contains amino acids such as creatine and carnitine and carnosine and anserine. Many you haven't heard of. They're non-essential amino acids, but really good for you. But here's the real reason I believe red meat is good, and you can't convince me otherwise. I believe in the Bible. And I'm going to say something pretty bold. If you believe in the Bible and you believe it's God's Word and you believe red meat is bad, you don't believe God's Word. Can I tell you why? Who's the wisest man that ever lived according to God? Now, we all know Solomon may not have ended as well as he started. In fact, he ended terribly. But Solomon asked for wisdom. God granted it in a dream, actually. And he said Solomon was the wisest man in the world. If Solomon was the wisest man in the world and people marveled at what he understood, including animals, science, physiology, anatomy, if Solomon consumed a meal every day, could you think that it would be the healthiest meal in the world? If Solomon knew more about animals and even named some animals, finished up the work that Adam started. That's what the Bible says. Solomon in Kings had a certain meal every single day that was brought to him and all of his fellow diners. Whoever dined with Solomon enjoyed all kinds of red meat, stall-fed cattle, grass-fed cattle, deer, roebucks, which is like an elk, some poultry, and yes, meal and flour. So I'm going to blow you away and say that grains are good for you too in certain forms. The Solomon meal is primarily red meat and grains. Guess what? Pretty much every group of diet-espousing folks say not to eat one or the other. Don't eat red meat or don't eat grain. Nobody says to eat both. 
other than the Bible. You know what's sad? The Christian Medical and Dental Association says to minimize or avoid red meat, among other things they say, but it's time we actually believed the Bible. Really. I don't even have to tell you the research that disproves that a plant-based diet is better than an omnivorous diet. There's lots of it. But all I'm going to say to this group is that God clearly gave Solomon the wisdom to know what was good for him to eat. And you know what's crazy? This is probably the first time you even heard that Solomon had a meal, much less it's what he ate every single evening. The truth is Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world, and he ate red meat. Why? Because he could afford it. And so did every other people group on the planet. Those that don't eat meat, it's because they can't get it, can't find it, or can't afford it. Is there better sources of meat than others? Absolutely. I have two farms. We raise the best meat in the world. It's a passion of mine, but red meat is something we should not avoid. It is the muscle of an animal, and when you eat the muscle of an animal, now it kind of sounds a little bad now that I mention it, you are what you eat, and all ancient systems of health believe that. If you eat liver, it's going to help your liver. If you eat muscle, it's going to build muscle, and this is muscle. Number two, pomegranates. I chose this not just because it is the biblical fruit. If you didn't know this, a pomegranate has an average of 613 seeds in it. That's the exact number of laws, commandments in the Old Testament. How amazing is that? It was the royal fruit. I say was because you may not know this, but the national fruit in Israel is now the nopal cactus or the prickly pear. I don't know when it changed, but they call that the sabra fruit. We grow pomegranates and we grow prickly pear. Pomegranates have a compound called elagic acid. I'm not going to give you a quiz on all of this later, but elagic acid is converted by the body into a substance called urolithin A and B and C, and urolithin is a compound, a metabolite that the body creates from pomegranate and raspberries and walnuts and others to help you have muscle health. Eat pomegranates, and it's got other good things in it as well. Watermelon. I have a son who could live on watermelon, Watermelon contains an amino acid called citrulline. Citrulline helps create nitric oxide in the body, which is a vasodilator and makes your arteries expand and run clean and gives blood flow to your muscles. Watermelon's a great pre or mid workout, and it has loads of potassium, which we're mostly deficient in because we don't eat potassium rich foods very often. Red meat, pomegranate, watermelon, what's the common denominator? They're all red. That's not the point here, but these are just three of the many things you can eat to build muscle. Protein, by the way, is very important. It comes from the Latin word proteus, which means of primary importance or that which comes first. Your meals should focus on protein. But there are people that say you should eat all starches, all vegetables. They talk about peasants eating all of those. Exactly. Do you want to eat like a peasant or you want to eat like a king? If you want to eat like a king, look what Solomon ate. Oh, and by the way, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 tells 
you what meats you should and shouldn't eat according to Scripture. That's not the Old Testament. There's more revelation in the Tanakh or the original covenant that you and I can ever understand. So let's stop calling it old. Let's call it ancient maybe, but it's ancient wisdom. And God wouldn't waste His words on meat if you were supposed to avoid it. By the way, I know approximately what Adam and Eve ate in the garden. I know that sounds like a crazy statement, but I can explain it another time. Yes, it was an all-plant-based diet, but I promise you it wasn't carrots, spinach, and kale. Again, I'll have to save that for another time, but God has revealed so much to me about how we should eat and live just simply by me asking. It's not much else. What did Solomon do to get wisdom? He asked for it, and I ask for it every single day. Supplements. I do believe in supplements, but supplements do not replace a healthy diet. They are in addition to a healthy diet. Because you will not eat liver, heart, and kidney. By the way, there's lots of Jewish words for what we used to eat in terms of organ meats, just like there's Scottish words, haggis, just like there are other words that we use in England, English, like tripe, etc. Organ meats used to be a part of our daily diet. They're not anymore. They are the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. If you can't or won't eat organs, you should consume supplemental organs. It is Without a doubt, the most important superfood category on the planet, B vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins such as A and D, E and K, it gives you the greatest amount of nutrition. By the way, every native culture that hunts an animal eats the organs first. I don't know how relevant this is, but it's kind of cool when a orca kills a shark, it eats the liver only. When a predator animal, like a lion or any other large cat, kills some type of antelope, deer, water buffalo, they eat the organs first. Native Americans eat the organs first. Aboriginal Australians, New Zealanders, they eat the organs first. You wonder why your mother and grandmother had liver and onions every week? Because we needed to eat it. Someone clapped about liver. That's amazing. <laughs> Herbs can help you build muscle. I'm going to give you three, two you've never heard of, one you may have. Number one, Indian globe thistle, considered a weed by some. Indian globe thistle helps your muscles maintain and gain strength. Mango bark. Now, this has been used for thousands of years, primarily in India and the Middle East. Mango bark helps build muscle. And the third, which you may have heard of, ashwagandha, which means in the Indian language, the smell of a horse. But why does it mean that? It doesn't smell great, but it means that because of the vigor that it brings for men and for women. <clears throat> These herbs also help you sleep. They give you energy, etc. And amino acids, I already mentioned this. We know, or we should, that there are essential amino acids and there's non-essential amino acids. Some of the non-essential amino acids I mentioned, such as creatine, which is found primarily in red meat, good for muscles, now good for the brain, they believe. Carnitine, which is an amino acid that's good for the heart muscle. And citrulline, which I mentioned, found in watermelon, etc., is good for bringing blood flow to your 
body, including your extremities, which helps you exercise more and with greater efficiency. All right, so that's how we build muscle. Get out and do it. Now we want to talk about collagen. Now this is interesting. Collagen, we may have heard of watching advertisements for skin creams. Collagen is the protein that holds us together. It's the glue. It makes up our skin, hair, nails, joints, ligaments, tendons, and most of our bones. There's more collagen in your bones than calcium. We need to preserve collagen. I believe collagen or connective tissue breakdown is the reason why athletes and normal folks have so many injuries today. How many of you are sports fans in the room? You can raise your hand. I use a lot of sports analogies. I'm going to use less for this audience. You have much better things to do than watching sports. My wife will tell you that. However, I grew up a huge sports fan. And I have seen over the ensuing decades more injuries by a factor of probably 100. There's a surgery that baseball players, primarily pitchers, get called Tommy John surgery. I got to know Tommy John a little bit before he died. The reason they named the surgery after a pitcher for the Yankees and a few other teams is that he had a ligament in his elbow that was torn and they replaced it. It's called a UCL or ulnar collateral ligament. Tommy John was the first to ever get it and I estimate when I was younger one out of a thousand pitchers had Tommy John surgery. Today, one out of two pitchers has Tommy John surgery. I have a very good friend whose son in high school had Tommy John surgery. The most famous baseball player in the world who's Japanese named Shohei Otani has had two Tommy John surgeries, and he's not 30 years of age. More Achilles tears, knee injuries, they call them non-contact injuries. You're running on a turf field and you blow out your knee. You're not getting tackled. The reasons that we have issues with our joints, ligaments, and tendons are twofold. Our collagen is not intact, and antibiotic overuse damages tendons, ligaments, etc. Not just taking antibiotics, but in our food supply. We need stronger connective tissue. When you were younger, or your parents or grandparents were younger, they consumed bone broth, chicken soup, beef soup. They never threw any part of the animal away, and we are a brothless generation. We need connective tissue proteins. We get less than 1% of those, and we get plenty of protein from other sources that don't support your collagen. I love saying this, if you can build muscle and preserve collagen, you can stop the sag. When your face sags, it's because of a loss of muscle and collagen. When you wave to somebody and your underarm is waving the other way, that's a loss of muscle and connective tissue. When you turn around or look in a mirror, basically your back to your heel is a straight line, you've lost connective tissue. We call that in our family flat tushy syndrome. And a lot of us deal with that, but you don't have to. Stop the sag, preserve collagen. How do we do it? Walking again. 
This is a good one, earthing or grounding. Folks, this sounds kind of weird and new age, but the bottom line is we need to connect with the earth. And if you want to de-stress, go outside with your bare tootsies and walk on the grass, walk on the beach. It is studied and proven to reduce cortisol. And what is cortisol? A hormone that, among other things, hastens collagen breakdown. And number three, heat exposure. I'm absolutely a sauna nut. When I gave Nikki her engagement ring, and shortly after we were married, I said, I don't think only women should get an expensive gift. She said, what do you have in mind? A necklace or a watch? No, I'd like a sauna house. We had a small apartment, didn't have a lot of spare room, but the sauna has become my prayer closet. It's become my sanctuary. And heat exposure is a way to provide what is called hormetic stress, which allows your body not only to work on its cooling mechanisms, not only drive circulation, not only enhance your mental health, but it helps preserve collagen. I go in the sauna almost every day. My excuse is I can't shave without it. Everywhere I live or have lived, I have a sauna. And it's absolutely awesome. And some good friends of ours have a business where they're here, and they have sauna therapy and cold exposure, which I'm a lot worse at that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you need to subject your body to heat. As we age, our ability to adapt to stressors like heat and cold gets worse. We need to continue to fight that heat exposure. It could be sauna. It could be laying out in the warm sunshine or getting your body revved up through exercise, but heat exposure is important. I got a boogie here. Foods to avoid. Soda, for so many reasons, but even carbonation in soda and the acids in soda can break down your connective tissue, particularly your bones. My wife grew up in Kentucky. She wasn't the healthiest eater when we met, but she said when I was in school, they put a nail in a Coke and it rusted and I stopped drinking Coke, so that's good. Grains. Grains in large amounts can block mineral absorption, which hinders cartilage and collagen production. And number three, once again, processed vegetable oils. They contain omega-6 fats with drive inflammation, which can degrade collagen. Foods to eat. Bone broth, chicken soup. Make it yourself. Buy it at a store. They now have bone broth in almost every store. It's a craze. It's a superfood. Ground meat as opposed to steak because ground meat actually contains more collagen. And tart or low sugar citrus. Lemons, limes, grapefruit. Are oranges good? Sure, but they are bred to have so much more sugar today. Vitamin C rich fruits and vegetables help build collagen. Here's a great trivia answer for you to make you sound smart in the areas of health. Vitamin C is called vitamin C because it's the collagen vitamin. Pretty cool if you didn't know that. Supplements to consume. Collagen protein or peptides. You can get it easily. You can mix it in your coffee, your juice, your smoothies. 
I make my wife a coffee drink every morning, and I put collagen protein in it. Everybody should be consuming, in my estimation, 30 to 50 grams of collagen a day to balance the other proteins you eat. It is critical. And then vitamin C, I mentioned, the collagen-building vitamin. This is going to really ring true to all of us. Because I see we have a mature audience here. I have learned, by the way, as I began speaking, even at a young age in my 20s, I always substitute mature for anything that resembles old. It makes people feel better. If I said we have a bunch of old folks in here, that's not going to be as warmly received. We need to boost our brain, and this does not just go for us mature people, folks. We have more neurodegeneration at an older age and more brain issues in our children than we ever have before. How do we boost our brain? Surprise! Resistance training! Believe it or not, resistance training stimulates chemicals that help promote longevity. By the way, hormones like testosterone and growth hormone that are great for the brain. Testosterone is one of the most important hormones for the brain. Number two, cold exposure. This is a major brain boost because staying in the cold, which I am terrible at, I'm working on it. I grew up in South Florida, so living in Tennessee and a little bit in Alabama now doesn't really help even though there's snow on the ground in Tennessee. Cold exposure is one of the greatest mental tests you can undergo. Cold plunging, ice baths, they are exploding. It used to be those weird polar bear people that would go in the water, but now it is amazing and it is an absolute brain game for you to withstand that level of cold through breathing and just a fight in your mental and your physical. By the way, if you don't want to go the cold plunge route, you can do a cold shower alternating with a hot shower. Start to turn the shower for as long as you can, as cold as you can. Even if it's at the end, you've got to shock your body with cold because it sends blood flow nutrients, and immune system cells everywhere, but most of all, it builds your brain. And they're showing more and more data on cold exposure and heat exposure in its ability to boost your brain. Brain games, challenge yourself. We need to boost our brain through reading, through solving problems. Everyone who has a device can find brain games and they're proven to work. Foods to eat. Egg yolks. Egg yolks have the greatest nutrition for the brain, including compounds such as phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, fat-soluble vitamins. Egg yolks are awesome. Why do you think we threw away our yolks and ate all egg whites in the early 90s? Because somebody is trying to kill us. You know what kind of omelet I like? An egg yolk omelet. Eggs are good for you, but all the nutrients other than protein, and there's some in there, are in the yolks. Dark berries, they have anthocyanins. Any dark berry, blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, strawberry can help build the brain. There's great data on that. And wild fatty fish, mackerel, salmon, herring, or good old-fashioned poor man's lobster, 
sardines. It's, no one even calls it poor man's lobster. I just made that up. It's the cheapest, probably best food you can buy for a dollar whatever. And if anyone tells you they can't eat healthy on a budget, they just don't want to eat sardines. But they're loaded with all kinds of nutrients. Foods to avoid. Concentrated sugars. Artificial sweeteners in pink, yellow, and blue packets. The reason that people love them is you can say diet on your Coke, but if you remove the tea, imagine how many people would drink that. Marketing is powerful. Artificial sweeteners can cause all manner of neurodegeneration. They are bad. Hydrogenated oils, anything that says partially hydrogenated or hydrogenated, not good at all. Damaging to your brain through oxidation. Supplements, a mushroom called lion's mane is one of the most popular brain supplements or foods in the world. Organs again, surprise, loaded with B vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins, and blue-green algae, things called spirulina, chlorella, they contain a compound called phycocyanin, which is great for the brain. There's others, including astaxanthin, which is found in salmon. It makes it red, and it makes flamingos pink. That's another trivia question. Folks, I started a company with my friend and colleague, Dr. Josh Axe, called Ancient Nutrition. We provide content and we provide products so that you can get your collagen, your organs, your Indian globe thistle, and things that you don't know where to find. We created two packet, multiple packages, men's and women's, just for this conference. There's gold, silver, and bronze. Men's, women's, here's what's great about this. Wow, there's all kinds of things flipping up on my screen. Okay, we have a table here with our awesome team. Folks, we have a great discount, and best of all, part of the proceeds go to support Lance Wallnow and his ministries and his efforts. There's a great low price for conference only, but let me tell you this, we don't have product to give you. We will ship the product free Place the order at the table, and if you are watching via live stream, you can visit ancientnutrition.com forward slash Lance. Am I right about that? It's forward slash Lance. That's confirmed. Ancientnutrition.com forward slash Lance. And any of your questions about citrulline, creatine, or phycocyanin, you can direct to Lance personally. Uh, he will tell you all about that in his new plan to be super healthy. Folks, I want to encourage you to take some steps and walk out your health in your life. God can't use dead people. I should write a book entitled that. It could mean a lot of things, right? But this idea that a pastor does a funeral and says, it must have been his time to go, or it must have been her time to go. I'm way more interested in when it's his time to go. Because if it was my time to go, I could have been gone. Trust me. God can't use dead people, but God wants to use you. And every minute, every hour, every day we are alive, that means that the Lamb's book of life could have another name or two in it. It means that Hungry bellies could have another meal or two. It means slaves could be freed. I believe you taking care of your health is one of the most important things you can do. It's not about vanity. It's not about 
self-confidence, although those are, you know, fine things. Vanity's really not, but you can live healthy to 100, but more importantly, you can live healthy today by making decisions. When's it too late to start a healthy lifestyle? Tomorrow's too late. You have to make these decisions. Live healthy to 100. Check out our booth or if you're on live stream, ancientnutrition.com forward slash Lance. We created these products for our families and to bless you. And with that, God bless you. I believe Lance is going to come right back. Powerful, powerful. Wasn't that a stimulating download? You know, I was writing all these notes, and I'm furiously writing. Actually, I don't know how many notes you took. I was on the last page writing down supplements, lying me, and Mercedes hits me in the arm. She goes, you've got all the PowerPoints. (laughs) Of course, I do. I'm hosting the conference. (laughs) You've got this. (laughs) Everyone gives you the material before they speak. I go, oh, I forgot. But I was like, I'm sitting in the same seat you were in, and I'm thinking, I didn't know a lot of this. And uh, how am I going to assimilate this and put it together? I'm thinking that, and if I'm thinking that, you're probably thinking the same thing. So step one is, I'm recommending to you speakers with expertise, and I'm a practitioner now with you. I'm learning with you. Every one of those products that he has, Dr. Jordan has, out there on the table, I've got at home and in my office, and I'm using them now. And I'm telling you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an impact that happens almost instantaneously. My son makes my coffee with that collagen powder that the doctor does with his wife every morning. That's how I do my podcast. I get that beverage, and, I, and I'm working with that. What I want you to think about is we're going to take a 50-minute break, go out to the table, get a hold of the products, get whatever it is that you, you can do or need right now. But understand something. At some point, you're going to experience a little bit of information overload. Always ask the Holy Spirit, what's the one idea that I need to be hearing right now for me? Because you're, uh, you're going to be given a lot, but there's something in there that's going to be for you. Write it down. That's what you really need to be writing down. Because you can get like videos, you you can look at this stuff. I don't know how we're doing that. If we're doing that for you, we should be able to recall this information. So you don't have to worry about getting everything. There's a way to there's a way that we can get this to you post, so you can go back and look at it. But what I want you to do is think, Lord, what's the one piece that I need right now? Because we're not done yet. We got more information coming, and I need you to not uh, max out and like go tilt because you can't think anymore. So what I want you to do is I want you to stand up right now. Shake yourself out. I want you to say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to go to the next level. Next level energy. Next level strength. Next level clarity. Use your voice. Next level power. See, it's a little different now. Atmosphere is different. All right, got 15 minutes. We're going to come right back. When you hear my wild music playing, get back in the room. Thank you. 
Welcome back. A mind-blowing session from Dr. Jordan Rubin. And I'm here with my friend Tommy Evans. Certainly not the first time we have done one of these together. But I want to encourage you guys, for those of you who are watching online, what Jordan was talking about, particularly the collagen, it is available. We're going to have information on the screen on how you can take advantage of this. But even in the break, I was talking to Tommy Evans. Now, Tommy, the Lord uses you and Miriam powerfully in signs, wonders, and miracles, but you guys are equally passionate about raising up a healthy body of Christ in everyday life. Yeah, the Lord really convicted us a few, a few years ago that you know we're body, soul, and spirit, and we ha we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We've got to do something to take care of our temple. We're responsible, and so the Lord just really convicted us just to begin to exercise, to eat right, to change our diet, to get rid of all that processed sugar and the things that try to kill us and will kill us and causes disease. You know, I was I've learned over the years reading and studying yep. that sugar actually is one of the number one root causes of all diseases. And so, and this is, now we're not talking about natural occurring sugars, we're talking about added sugars, yep. things like in, uh, you know, sodas and things like that, and, and, and different desserts and things. And so we just started cutting those things out. We started uh, just really getting out and moving more, walking, lifting weights, all of those things, cutting out certain things that are harmful for us. And I'm telling you, we begin to sleep better. We had more energy. Uh, we, were, we were able to go longer. And so I think this is something that we really, I feel like the Lord is trying to bring home is God wants us in it for the long That's haul. That's good. You know, the enemy can take us out yep. with all these things that we consume on a daily basis or things that we don't do for our health. And, and and that's what he wants to do. The Bible says that he is here to try to kill us, to destroy us, and to steal from, from us. us. So he wants to take from us, and he'll do that through our health. Yep, yep. Well, it's interesting. They're talking about collagen, and a lot of what Jordan was talking about are things that you and your wife and your family have implemented. I mean, what benefits have you seen from doing that? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, we implement collagen every day. You know, there's different types of proteins. There's, you know, there's uh, plant-based proteins. There are, you know, bovine-type proteins. Mm. Um, all of these are proteins, but collagen works totally different than any of those. Collagen helps with our hair, our nails, our skin, our joints, our connective tissues, and we need it to stay strong and healthy. And so Miriam and I, every day, we use it. We'll either put it in our shake, we'll put it in our coffee, we'll put it in one of our favorite drinks, and we'll just consume it. And I'm telling you, it really does. It really, we've noticed a difference in our complexion. We've noticed a difference in the way that we feel. So it's, a, it's an incredible type of protein that we all desperately need. When the phrase you used is, God, I believe, wants us around for the long haul. And I'm even thinking tonight, when you join us this evening at 7.30, we're going to do another healing and miracle meeting. But I believe what the Holy Spirit is going to do tonight, Tommy, you shared this a little bit with me, is it's wonderful to receive a miracle, and God wants to pour out yes. more miracles. But I believe God wants to use you Absolutely. to release miracles. And, I mean, we've done enough meetings together where we realize you need to be in a certain level of health or fitness to be somebody that's a vessel for the Holy Spirit. But I believe God's going to do that tonight, commission people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of our passions. Miriam and I love, love, love to activate the body of Christ, to move in the power of the gospel. The Bible says that Paul said this. He says, I don't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but I come to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith will not rest on us, yep. but your faith will rest in the power 
of the Almighty God. And so we're going to be here tonight. We're going to activate people. We're going to commission people, release impartation. And if you're watching online, please share the broadcast to as many people as possible because we've seen people supernaturally healed online. We've oh, yeah. seen people uh, touched powerfully by God online. And so tune in tonight at 730. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Last thing, we want to encourage you to share your testimonies wherever, literally, even just the yes. process of writing it down and releasing it. If there's a chat, if it's on social media, I know we gave you an email. I think it was admin at lancewallnow.com. It is vital that you share your testimony for your sake, but also for the people who will read it and see it, and they will conclude if God could heal that person, touch that person, release a breakthrough, He can do it for me. Last question, I mean, how many miracles have you seen just come out of people sharing their testimonies? Oh my goodness, I've honestly lost count. I mean, we've literally seen thousands of miracles, and I've lost count yeah. um, as to many how many miracles we've seen through the testimony. I mean. You look throughout history, the Bible talks about the testimony of Jesus is in fact the spirit of prophecy. Yeah. So when you share your testimony, it prophesies to someone else that what God did for me, He'll do it again and for mm. someone else. And we've seen this time and time again. You think about even revival history. Yep. A lot of revivals broke out because somebody shared a testimony of a That's revival right. happening somewhere else. And so why not the body of believers mm. change the narrative and our nation, the nations of the earth? You know, you get plenty of bad news on right. all the news outlets and people are always talking about the negative. But what if we change the narrative, a God narrative, by sharing the testimony of Jesus? What would it look like? What would it do to people's faith? What would it do in regions and areas just by hearing what God is doing? It, it would shift things dramatically. And even as you're sharing that, Tommy, I want to encourage you, please don't diminish just what could happen with you writing down or sharing your testimony. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm just putting it in a little chat or putting it in a comment, but you never know who will read it. Yeah, and you never know who, like you were explaining, that that testimony is literally like a prophetic word to that person yeah. saying, hey, Jesus healed me of this, and he can do the same thing Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. So we want to encourage you. We will be back in just a few minutes, and we want to encourage you to continue to open your heart, open your eyes to what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing. And in just a moment, we will re-pick up the live stream as we continue this amazing day of sessions. Hanging on for love. 